So, okay, you're probably going, is this like a Noxzema commercial or what? <laughs> you are so adorable. <laughs> oh, hey, guys, we're Soundtrack City. <laughs> hey. And if we were recording in person, to my left would be Frankie. And to my right would be Misa. And we're friends because we both know what it's like to have people be jealous of us. Always. Always. <laughs> and we're named after, you know, famous artists who now do infomercials. So today's Clueless Day. Yay! I Yay. Good thing. So <laughs> do you remember the first time you saw this movie? Actually, I very vividly remember seeing this like not long after it came out, um, renting it like as soon as it came out from um, Hollywood videos and watching it with my cousin. So I would have been like seven. Um, so yeah, we rented it um, with and my cousin, I guess, spent the night with us that weekend and we watched it together. And I have always loved this movie. So, but I think I love it um, for different reasons now. Like, I feel like my uh, love has matured. Interesting. Elaborate. Um, well, upon research, I I had no idea at the ripe young age of seven that this was a satire or that it was, you know, um, loosely based off of Emma. Mm -hmm. And so I found a new love for this after you know, rereading Emma and rewatching Emma and then like comparing. And so I have a different perspective of love for it and the characters. Um, and I think it's because of, you know, how much I do appreciate and enjoy um, Jane Austen now. Um, when I was younger, of course, it was for different reasons because I was in that age of like wanting, you know, wanting to have her life wishing I could drive a Jeep like that, wishing I had the fashion and, you know, just her um, level of sophistication as well as her, I guess, her sense of security and who she was until she starts to kind of waver with that. So I, I think that over the years, I have found a different perspective. And I know Misa and I have briefly texted about this and talked about it, how not all of the aspects of Clueless have aged well, um, but I, I do think that it is still very much a, an important movie for people to see because Cher does live a very, um, privileged life and you see her character go through kind of like, I need to do more. I need to do more with my platform. And I can totally respect that, especially with where we are at in society. Mm -hmm. so fun. Yeah, I think that I, I'm i kind of in the same boat in the sense that my love and appreciation for it has changed since I was a kid. I Because I, I was also a kid when I first saw this. I had a friend. She was my best friend. Her name was Anais, and she lived nine houses down. And she was the first person I knew who owned it on VHS. Wow. I do remember watching it at her house and we would watch it beginning to end and she would have me watch it all the way to after the credits because of the Supergrass music video at the very, very end. Ah, uh, yes! Yeah, so we would watch that and so she introduced me to that and then like, of course we were kids so like we would act it out and we made paper cell phones and we like you know had little backpacks and shit and it was just I, I bought a pen with a fuzzy top and you know where I bought it Frankie I think you'll remember where I bought it 
Um, okay, so if I had to make a guess, I remember those being super popular at like the scholastic book fairs. <laughs> so that's where my first guess goes, but I'm sure I'm wrong. <laughs> okay. Yes, they were there, but that's not where I got mine. I got mine at the Afterthoughts at West Oaks. Oh my God. Do you remember Afterthoughts? Dude, I just shifted into like a parallel universe. I haven't heard that in forever. I used to no dig way. the shit at guy, y'all, if y'all were not familiar with afterthoughts, I mean Google won't give you a whole lot because even when I Googled it, I feel like that's not the logo I remember, but it's definitely the same store. Um, and afterthoughts was basically just like this little kind of Claire's type place, but it didn't have like like accessories so much as it had like fancy sh- like school supplies <laughs> yeah they I remember them having some jewelry but it was mostly like school supplies um they had like notebooks like cute little remember when they had like those kind of like puffy notebooks with like yes the, uh, um like watery yes with glitter stuff. inside yes okay that's what I remember I remember my mom never letting me get any stupid oh um, so I saved my money up and that's why I said Scholastic because that's where I bought mine since I couldn't buy one from the stores that is so unfortunate I can't I can't I can't even remember all the things I used to get I had a giant pencil a holographic pencil from Afterthoughts I got my pink fuzzy pen from Afterthoughts I'm pretty sure I got at least one or two notebooks from there you know me hoarder of notebooks <laughs> Um, young. Hell yeah. And so this movie made me go get a fucking fuzzy pen. <laughs> and um, just like with, you know, any other movie or TV show that you end up loving, there are a few like quotes and phrases from this film that I integrated into my life that eventually just kind of became my own because I didn't realize after so long that they were from Clueless <laughs> until I rewatched it. I love it. What are some of the examples? Well, like when she and when she's uh, when she leaves Mrs. Geist the love note and Mrs. Geist thinks it's from like a secret admirer, mm-hmm. um, Cher and Dion are like, oh, my God, she actually looked happy. And then she turns around and she's like, classic. <laughs> and I used to say that when something really, really good happened, <laughs> like or if something like I really, really liked or like if The Rock won a match, I'd be like, fuck classic (laughs) you know and so like I would say that and I would say it like her sometimes that was how clueless was a part of my childhood that is so cool (laughs) I just remember um just the as if like that was always like or duh (laughs) like that was just something that I loved from it because I was like that's just such a fun like filler yeah I love that I used to say Audi but I didn't know that they said it like Audi like the car Neither did I until I looked at the script. Yeah, until I looked at the subtitles. And I've been sa- I had been saying it and I had been typing it like O U T T I E. Like Okay, outie. okay. Like, you know, like I'm out. Yeah. But I'm outie. Yeah. And so I would use that. And then it wasn't until like maybe within a few years that I realized how they were spelling it. And I was like, that doesn't make any sense. Mine's better. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. I agree. When I saw that, I was like, what? No, that has to be a typo. Because I saw it on the subtitles, and I was like, that's a typo. Because, you know, every now and then someone doesn't do their job right. 
Yes. And the subtitles are not correct, um, unfortunately. And so I did go and look at the script and I was like, that that can't be right. But unfortunately it is. <laughs> Before we move on, is it okay if I mention a few bits of exciting tidbits? Of course. Go ahead. Okay. A uh, couple things. Uh, everybody knows that I'm a huge wrestling fan, and I'm going to make this super quick because we do need to get into Clueless. Um, but uh, my super duper hero and would be best friend, if it wasn't for Frankie, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, Renee Young, who now goes by her real name, Renee Paquette, because she has left WWE. She left after SummerSlam. Um, she has written a cookbook. She released her cookbook, and I actually managed to buy a signed copy. And with the signed copy, I was able to submit a question. So she was going to do a live Q&A as she was signing the books and I went ahead and sent her a question because I thought hey what the hell I might as well try right right so I asked her the one thing I really really wanted to know the one thing that like if I saw her in person I would also ask her and I it was what are some of your favorite soundtracks of all time they can be movie tv video game and she answered my question live on youtube <laughs> And Misa is now famous. <laughs> I pseudo quasi kind of sideways interviewed Renee Paquette, guys. You so did. Own that. Own it. So I'm going to insert the audio here and you guys can hear for yourself. Toot it up. Okay, so this one comes from Misha from Houston, Texas. She wants to know, what are some soundtracks that are your favorite all time, whether it's TV, movies, video games, etc.? Damn, that's a good one. So soundtracks. Soundtracks, I'm going to go. Um, okay, right off the bat, one of my favorite soundtracks of all time is the Romeo and Juliet soundtrack. Um, it's absolutely insane. Uh, just Especially because it has Talk Show Host by Radiohead on there, which is my absolute favorite Radiohead song. I love when you hear certain songs and it just like takes you back to like, I mean, even like, uh, if you're like, Maya Sharona, like that's going to make me think of Dumb and Dumber. Like how there's like certain songs or whatever that just like transport you to a movie. Um, I think Clueless has a really great soundtrack. Fear, the movie Fear has a great soundtrack. Wild Horses, oh my God. Oh, that's um, a great, that's a great scene too. Like, oh, yeah. isn't it, isn't it amazing? John and I watched that movie not that long ago, like within the past year. And we're like, man, that movie really holds up. It's fantastic. Um, and what about from like some like TV shows? Um well, I don't know if this like necessarily qualifies, but uh, from like the original um, Mortal Kombat, I did a gymnastics routine to the Mortal Kombat <laughs> theme one time. I wish I like remembered it all, but I remember like having that be my music. Mortal Kombat. And then I would like go into like a tumbling sequence. You I know, also did a gymnastics routine to the Simpsons theme. Okay. If, <laughs> if, if Carol has video of this, please tell her to I send this to me did. because we have to post these on the YouTube channel. I wish yeah. she had them so badly. I don't think she has any of it. Yay. Super exciting. And then super recently, just last week, uh, my super duper all-time favorite women's wrestler of all time, Molly Holly, who just went into the hall of fame, bitches. Um, she was doing a meet and greet at, um, a wrestling shop in LA. And of course I was not fully vaccinated by that time. I was super busy in May, so I couldn't, I kept having to push back my vaccination because of my schedule, which was really annoying, but it, it you know, I'm fully vaxxed now. So yay hugs. Um, Woo! 
But unfortunately, I didn't get all that stuff done in time to book a flight, make arrangements, and do all that stuff and make it to LA. So I asked my sister if she would go for me. And my sister ended up upgrading my autograph ticket. So she got me two autographs and she actually got to meet and take a picture with Molly. And I was like, hey, if you get a chance, ask Molly, what are her favorite soundtracks? And she answered. Oh, I'm so excited to hear. The very first thing that she said when my sister asked her was like, what's your favorite soundtrack? She said, Garden State. <gasps> Shut up. Yes. Oh my gosh. That is seriously, uh, uh, I love it. Cause that was one of the movies that I was talking to you about. Remember when I was saying that I just didn't feel like it was appropriate for me. Cause I was dealing with, you know, personal mental health things. That was one of the movies I was talking about. I do remember you telling me this. Is that when we went the first time we went to Soto's and you were telling yes. me? Yes. 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 I do. Remember. Yes. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Oh my gosh. She almost channeled you then. She did. Ah. That's, that's, and that's crazy because Renee picked Romeo and Juliet, which I had just done. Right. (laughs) And then she picked Clueless, which we're doing today. I just feel like there's just so many signs. We're all meant to be friends. And guys, just to clarify, we picked Clueless before Renee answered my question. Yes, we did. Like literally the day before. Yes. And I can send timestamps to prove it. <laughs> yes. Um, um, I had just watched Clueless like twice because I was feeling it. And then Misa was like, how do you feel about another collab? And I was like, I'm intrigued. What movie? And I was like, shut up. I've literally just watched that movie so many times. Yes, it's a sign on board. <laughs> yeah. And the reason I the reason I got inspired to do it was because I was scrolling through Instagram and I found these old Polaroids from Clueless and I was super baked at the time. And I was like, hey, this is a good idea. <laughs> and I just sent the, I sent her my idea. And I love it. And then, of course, Alicia did her iconic Clueless scene on her TikTok. And I was like, it's just the universe is saying yes. <laughs> yeah, all signs pointed. So that was pretty cool. Oh, and then another movie that Molly mentioned is a 1992 indie film called Where the Day Takes You. Ooh, I haven't seen that. Yeah, she said it's really obscure. And and so and she so she told my sister, like, she'll appreciate it because it's obscure. And I was like, how do you know me? How does she know? <laughs> Y'all are friends. We're connected. It's just... You guys really are. It's the sun and the moon and the stars. <laughs> oh, shut up. Ricky Lake is in that movie? Cool. Oh, my God. And David Arquette. <gasps> Misa, she gets you. <laughs> I feel happy. I feel seen. <laughs> How did she? I mean, I'm, I'm speechless. Isn't it just like the universe is just amazing that way sometimes, you know? It really is. I'm blown away. I know, right? It's, it's kind of crazy. So I wanted to share those really fast before we moved on, guys. But Oh, my gosh. I'm sorry. I'm still like floating over here because I cannot believe that she was able to just like pinpoint you (laughs) (laughs) I know it's crazy like oh I wish I could have been there in person I have missed multiple opportunities to to meet Molly and so I really hope that she comes to WrestleCon or Access or something next year Mm -hmm. because I will be at Mania Molly and I hope you will be there too yes and you know I just think it shows how connected you guys are like on a different level, even though you weren't able to be there in person. 
and just I know there's been a lot a lot of missed opportunities but that just shows like you two are like kindred spirits or something oh that makes me I love it (laughs) I love it I love it and I love you for saying that (laughs) (laughs) I love I'm just so excited now so yes on to Clueless oh my gosh great movie greater soundtrack in my opinion (laughs) you know what I was going to say that I think I love the soundtrack a little more than I love the film a hundred percent agreed we're on we're in the same boat yeah 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 and there's there's really only off the top of my head there's only one other film who that I really love but whose soundtrack I love more and that would be Boz Lerman's Great Gatsby Mm, I can totally see that uh but we're gonna have to do a b-side episode on soundtracks that are better than the film Oh, God, yeah, great idea. Cool. Okay. Um, before we uh, get into it, do you want to name some of your sources? Yes. So um, I use several sources um, because I did try to find as much information as possible, especially because, you know, we love talking about all that stuff. Um, I did use, um, let me pull everything up, sorry. Um, of course, Wikipedia, ABC, Pop Culture, What Song, Vulture, LA Times, Mental Floss, Insider, BuzzFeed. Um, secondhand songs, song facts, IMDb, Refinery29, um, rock.fandom.com, who sampled, and popisms. Cool, cool, cool. We, we use some of the same ones, and then I use some uh, different ones as well. So I use the uh, DVD special features. Um, Wikipedia, schmoop.com, citizeninsane.eu, books.google.com, songfacts, YouTube, faroutmagazine.co.uk, lightningseeds.co.uk, the Stage Left podcast, and the Smoking Popes official website. Awesome. Cool. Good things. (laughs) So you talked briefly about how this is a reimagining of Emma. Mm Mm-hmm. And so you're, you sound a lot more familiar with that story than I am because I've never actually read Emma. <laughs> oh, okay. So you want to like do a quick rundown as to like who's who or like how it, how it fits with the story? Um, I can, yeah. It's very loosely based off of um, Jane Austen's 1815 Emma. Um, and our cast does correlate to the characters in Emma which is about Emma Woodhouse, who is kind of basically just like Cher. She is from a very well-known, popular family in um, Highbury, or Highbury, however they say it with their accent. Sorry, not English. (laughs) Um, And she enjoys kind of playing matchmaker. Like, she's almost kind of... um, naive in a sense like she doesn't understand that there's repercussions to things that you do in the movie um and in the book as well now Cher is loosely based off of Emma um who does end up falling for like her friend in the movie Mr. Knightley who is played by Josh her ex-stepbrother wait is he her ex-stepbrother in Emma or is he just a friend in Emma, he is just a friend. He's okay. kind of like um, he's kind of like a, a a town apprentice of her father. Her father is um well known. He um the mom is dead in Emma as well, and Mister Knightley doesn't agree with all of like Emma's kind of young girl 
isms that she does, um, you know, getting in people's business, meddling, that kind of thing. Like he, and he calls her out on it in the book and in the movie. And in Emma, Mr. Knightley and Emma do end up realizing they're in love, just like Josh and Cher. Which we'll get into later, please. Right. That's a whole conversation that we're going to have okay, about, about that couple because <laughs> I, <laughs> it's X amount of years later and I still have, I still look at it weird. <laughs> Got some thoughts. Got yes, got some thoughts. <laughs> um, so Ty's character is based off of Harriet Smith, which is a young kind of new girl. She moves to the new school in Highbury, and Emma kind of takes her under her wing and tries to push her onto Miss Elton, um, which is played by Elton in this movie, who we know that doesn't fare well. Um. Mr. Elton does, in fact, love Emma in the book, just like Elton loves Cher. And they both are very kind of um, full of themselves. Like, you know, his comment, like, do you know who my father is, is very much like Mr. Elton and Emma. Um, Then we do have um, Amber, who actually plays or is based off the character who Mr. Elton kind of leaves town after Emma rejects him and he marries kind of like a harlot and that's who Amber's character is based off of which is so perfect it's so perfect right (laughs) um and then we do have um Christian who is based off of the character Frank Churchill who is initially um you know a love interest to Emma um, in the books, he's not available to Emma because he's already secretly engaged. However, that's different in the film because Christian is gay. And like, isn't it like a big scandal that he's secretly engaged or something like that? Or It is. It is a big scandal because he was openly flirting with Emma and you know, that can be a whole other episode, you know, flirting in the 1800s versus flirting in Clueless. Um, But, you know, you just didn't do certain things once you became unavailable. And it was very, very frowned upon. And it looked bad on Emma as well for him to have been openly flirting with her Mm -hmm. when he was engaged. Um, That makes her look, you know, disrespectful, repulsive. Um, and probably even more so on her than on Mr. Churchill based on that time because women are supposed to know everything. And then, of course, um, Miss Geist and Mr. Hall are based on some of um, Emma's matchmaking, and actually that's how the book starts out is her kind of, um, like, headmistress, Miss Taylor, becomes engaged and marries Mr. Weston. And there's actually an Emma, there's kind of an age difference between them, but I guess that was the norm back then. Yeah. Um, to have kind of that larger age gap, like it was okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's how their character starts off. And, um, and that's how Emma starts off. Those two uh, are getting married and it's their wedding day. And um, she's leaving, Miss Taylor is leaving Emma. And Emma is quite sad because she was very fond of Miss Taylor. But she was happy because her matchmaking was successful. And that's kind of what gets her ball rolling for like, oh, I'm good at this. Let me just pair people together. 
Gotcha. And then that's like Cher, because Cher's like, oh, now that they're happy, I want to do more good deeds. Exactly. Exactly. And Travis, who's probably one of my favorite characters in Clueless, because he's just adorably goofy. Yes! He's exactly who we would have fallen in love with. (laughs) Oh my god, absolutely. A (laughs) hundred percent. Like, just so cute and adorable and just himself and he never really changed who he was regardless of what was popular or whatever and I love that I love that um his character is based off of Robert Martin so Robert Martin is actually in love with Harriet Smith from the get-go but Emma does not think that Robert a farmer is an eligible bachelor for Harriet that she needs to marry up which is exactly what Cher does. She tells Ty that Travis is not respectable enough. He's for a lodi. No respectable girl dates him. Robert and Harriet do end up getting together because Emma realizes that it's not about your status quo, but about your personality and how you treat that other person, more so than your title, mm-hmm. if you will. So yeah, so that in a nutshell is how Clueless is very loosely based off of Emma. And there are a lot of differences that Amy Heckler, I never say her name right, Hecker, I can't say it. Heckerling? (laughs) Heckerling, I'm sorry. Heckerl, my mouth, sorry, sorry. Let me try again. (laughs) How many names does Frankie mispronounce all of them? (laughs) Amy Heckerling started writing the script she did use Emma and she did um, want to follow it loosely but of course she made it more appropriate for today and she did kind of change the order of the book to make it fit the times Um, and you know a lot of people I guess don't realize that Jane was Jane Austen was actually more of a satirical writer and that's what Amy loved about Emma so she did bring that satire piece to Clueless because of course first world problems I'm being robbed at gunpoint but I can't get on the ground because this dress is a what did she say Alani I always forget the name of the designer <laughs> this is an Alaya Alaya <laughs> yes I mean, who is going to say the name of the designer of the dress when you have a gun in your face and you're being threatened to kill? The fact that she was calm enough to say it to his face and look him in the eye, I'm just like, um, I, I like to consider myself, you know, fairly tough on the outside, but I don't think I'd be able to do that. Uh, same. Me either and the fact that she the subtitles say they're in uh parentheses whining I'm like I would be bawling (laughs) I would be hyperventilating oh god yes and no I love the part right after that where she's like calling Josh and she says everything awful that happened, but the thing that makes her cry is he forced me to ruin my dress. <laughs> yes. And if that doesn't show you first world problems, I mean, come on. <laughs> I love it. She's so hilarious. <laughs> right? I love yes. it. Yes. So, yes. Yeah. So um, that is how 
uh, Clueless is loosely based off of Jane Austen's 1815 novel, Emma, and that is set in modern day Beverly Hills and has just a wonderful cast. Also, I love the casting for this movie. I kind of already touched base on some of our characters' names, but we do have a lot of characters in this movie and a lot of um, younger characters. So some of them, this was kind of just their second or third film. Some of them, there was this um, theatrical debut. Um, we have Alicia Silverstone as Cher, uh, Stacey Dash as Dion Davenport, Brittany Murphy in her debut as Ty Frazier, who, can I just go for just a second? I just need to brag about her laugh and how contagious it is. She is one of the main reasons why I absolutely love this movie because of her laugh. Her giggle and laugh is just, it just makes me happy. Yeah, and it's, uh, her movies are hard to and watch. it's hard to watch. They are. It's hard to watch her now, especially to see her kind of transform and knowing that a lot of her transformation was because of some mental health issues yeah. that weren't brought yeah. up. That's very hard to see as she goes through her acting career. Um, but to see her as a young, you know, kind of untouched by Hollywood madness and just hear the true richness in her laughter, it just, it just makes me insanely happy. Mm-hmm. And I just love it. So sorry, I had to say that for a second because every time I watch it, like I just look forward to hearing her giggle and laugh. And it's, it just makes me so happy. Uh, we then have Paul Rudd as Josh, who does not age ever. I mean, can we talk about him for a second? Flawless. Like, he looks the same now. Unpopular opinion? Yeah. He's aging, but he's aging very, very, very gracefully. I need to look at more pictures then because I definitely think that he looks older, but I just can't get over how long he looked the same, I guess. But I, I definitely hear your opinion. I actually, I I was just discussing this with someone because I was talking about how standards for men aging in Hollywood are different from standards for women aging in Hollywood. Ooh. Um, and I, Paul Rudd was one of the people that came up. Jack Nicholson is someone who came up. And because it's like Jack Nicholson has looked like shit for like 20 years, but nobody says it. Oh, I agree with you. He looks awful. Yeah, but he's such a good actor and he's Jack Nicholson and he's a man. So no one's going to say no one's going to say he needs work if he gets work done no one's going to point it out it's it's definitely a double standard and i am so glad you're calling that out because uh i mean jack is definitely one who i think looks like a freaking train wreck and he's had some really bad work hasn't he i don't know actually i um from what i see he looks all natural but uh but then on the contrary like i also brought up lisa kudrow who i talked about with you uh, recently like how out of all the people, uh, out of all the women on Friends, like, she looks the best because she clearly did not do anything to her face. Yeah, she looks amazing. Like, she is aging, but she's aging very gracefully. Um, yeah. And I just, I, the reason I point, I say that about Paul Rudd is because there are so many close-ups on him. He's not aging as badly as women are made out to age, and he's not aging as badly as men tend to let themselves age. So I think that because he's up against that backdrop of people who are just obsessed with how they look throughout their lives, no matter how old they are, yes, Paul Rudd is aging well. Yeah. 
I can definitely see that. And I, I, I'm glad you brought up those double standards. I would love to see a picture of him um, more recently. If we could get that on the blog to compare. That would be yeah. fun. That'd be fun. Uh, we then have uh, Dan Hedea, who did I say his name right, as Mel, um, Cher's father, um, Justin Walker as Christian, Wallace Sean as the adorable Mr. Wendell Hall. I love him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and we have um, Donald Faison as Murray, which, oh my gosh, he was so young too. <laughs> So young. I love Murray. I think his braces are so adorable. Yes, yes. And probably one of my favorites, uh, Brooklyn Meyer as Travis. Um, and uh, Jeremy Sisto as Elton. So a really, you know, a young cast. Like I said, a lot of this was kind of just their first or second movie. Some of them did a lot of TV. Um and some of them, this was their debut. So we had a really young cast that had to do a movie in uh, 40 days, right? Oh, I wasn't sure of the filming schedule, but I was going to say them and Stacey Dash, who was like 28. Oh, yeah. She was the oldest. Yeah, she was the oldest. She had a but kid looked amazing. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, she had a kid at the time of the filming of this. But yes, um, yes, I did confirm. Um, yeah, they filmed over a 40-day schedule. So this was a very quick turnaround. Yeah. So yeah. Um, and uh, any of the actors or anything that you, um, any other movies of theirs that you love or any work that you wanted to talk about? Well, I know that everyone kind of sees this as Alicia Silverstone's like defining movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually my, I think my favorite movie of hers is The Crush. Oh yeah. I, I, I didn't realize that this was kind of her defining movie. Well, I, I mean, I would say that, like, if you bring up Alicia Silverstone to 100 strangers, they're, most of them are going to say clueless, right? Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. That's, that's kind of what I mean. Like, I, I mean, I, I mean, sorry if I'm not in the loop, but I, I don't know much else that she has done that got as popular as clueless. Yeah, the only other thing that I actually um, have seen her in recently was she's in the, um, Netflix redid the um, Babysitter's Club, and she plays the mom. Oh, okay. And okay, so okay. That's something that I have seen her do lately. And I know she actually did something else with Amy. Um, I think it was like a short film or something about uh, vampires. Okay, I hadn't heard about that. I do know that she was apparently in The Lodge, which is a movie that I got about 15 minutes into and then turned off. Oh, wow. I didn't realize that. And the thing is, I don't even think, I, if I'm not mistaken, I don't want to spoil it. Never mind. Don't say it. Say it. I was going to say, uh, well, I only got 15 minutes in, but if I'm not mistaken, she's the woman who kills herself in the beginning, but I did not recognize her at all. Oh, wow. So uh, I don't even know if I even got to Alicia Silverstone's scenes or if that was her. I but it, I did not watch that movie. Fuck that movie. It was just boring. <laughs> I've never heard of that. So Yeah, it, it was on Netflix or Hulu or one of those, and I checked it out because it, it looked kind of wintry. It looked kind of intriguing, and then I quickly realized it was not. <laughs> it was not. I'm glad you realized before you got too far in. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, but um, I think we can move on right yeah for sure she hasn't done much besides that 
Yeah, I mean, I know she did some other stuff in the 90s. Like, I liked Blast from the Past. Oh, my God, yes. So did I, because I love Brandon Frazier. Yeah, and Christopher Walken and mm-hmm. Sissy Spacek. And um, <laughs> I love Sushi. I love Lucy. Who doesn't? She's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> now I need to go watch that again. <laughs> So, yeah, so a really young cast, um, and actually, you know, I don't know if we, uh, well, we can save that for later, because there was a lot of um, other people who auditioned for some of the roles, and we can do those for fun facts. Yes, we can say, your, that was your, I know that's your favorite part. My so favorite. <laughs> Our movie starts off with this montage of beautiful teenagers doing beautiful things in their beautiful cars and like it's share with her friends and they're like at the pool they're ogling waiters and feeding them cherries because that's a thing that you do (laughs) they look like an ideal group of teens on an well I guess she refers to it as an Oxima commercial I think we would see it as more of like an American Eagle ad (laughs) yeah Abercrombie yeah something like that yeah yeah I think they're interchangeable more or less yeah um so we open the movie with Cher and her friends and she says she actually has a super normal life for a teenage girl but turns out like uh Cher kind of doesn't because she's super rich and she has this digital closet thing that everybody wishes they had. And why haven't they invented that yet? Have they invented that yet? Ooh, I don't think so. I mean, I know they have, like, smart closets, but this is, like, beyond smart. <laughs> yeah, because this has, like, her picture in yes. it. And her clothing racks are, like, rotating. And she has tops on the top and bottoms on the bottom. It's amazing. It is. Like, that was one of the things that I was like, I want that. Yeah, yeah, I think we all were. And I'm just like, what are the mechanics of this? And how did it know if they match or not? Like, how did that formulate? I don't know. This closet is like a closet of wonders. And so so she gets ready for school, and she talks about her dad, and he's a, he's a litigator. So that's the scariest kind of lawyer. And so her her mother passed away, which we find out later, but she takes very, very good care of her dad because he's the only parent she has left. And it, it, throughout the movie, we hear, like, he has, like, cholesterol issues. He needs vitamin C. So she's constantly trying to feed him, like, healthy foods and get him to eat right. And he's just a very loud, abrasive <laughs> lawyer type. I think her dad is hilarious I do too in fact this is my daughter's favorite character in the movie she loves her dad yeah he's just so funny I love his presence and it's so funny to see um I forgot the name of the actor I know the character's name is Mel but what's the name of the actor thank you um when Dan talks like in interviews he's so quiet and soft-spoken and calm and it's so different from the movies I've seen him in because I feel like he's played kind of a loose cannon esque character like this before. Yeah, because he was in uh, he in several movies. He's kind of like that loud dad who you know tells it like it is. Yeah. So it's funny to see the actor speak candidly and as himself because it's like totally different. But I love her dad. He, every scene he's in just cracks me up. 
That is too funny. And I need to watch an interview with him because I want to see that difference. <laughs> it's 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 like stark difference, like night and fucking day. It's so cute. <laughs> he just see, he just seems like the sweetest guy. He seems like he'd be like a really genuine, like sentimental father figure, as opposed to like the guy that we see on the film. <laughs> that is so funny. I never I never would imagine because he's such a good actor. I know. That just shows how amazing he is. Yes, such a good actor. Who would have thought? So Cher's in the kitchen telling her dad that she he needs to drink his juice, and he's like, don't start about the juice again. And um, my favorite song from this time era starts playing in quietly. And then we see the shift in the camera to Cher is now driving around in her fully loaded Jeep um, that she uses because she doesn't have a license yet but she needed something to practice on and that song is just a girl by no doubt we see her driving around in this fully loaded <laughs> brand new white jeep to her friend dion's house and she's kind of giving us some background information about Dion being her best friend and that they're best friends because they both know what it's like to have people want to be them and that they're both named about, you know, the famous singers who now do infomercials. Again, just painting that picture for that kind of rose-tinted world, like, no problems. I mean, whose dad buys them a fully loaded, brand new Jeep to practice driving on when you do not have a license? Seeing her drive gives me so much anxiety. Oh my God, I know. (laughs) She is the worst driver. She is awful. She drives on the wrong side of the road. She curb checks. Like, she sidewalk checks. Oh, my God. She she almost she doesn't people. stop. She, I totally it's just, I remember when I was a kid, I understood her reference when she referred to being named after a singer who does infomercials because I was like, okay, yeah, Cher, Sunny and Cher. But I didn't learn about Dionne Warwick until a few years later when My Best Friend's Wedding came out. Oh, okay. So that's – but those are the singers that they're named after in yes. case you guys are confused. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you for elaborating on that. So, yes, we are treated to the Just a Girl song during this time when Cher is talking and telling us more about her perfect life. And this is a song that was released in 1995 by the band No Doubt. Um, and it was written by Gwen after her brother um, left the group. He was like their original um, songwriter for the group or the primary songwriter for the group. And he left and she kind of took the song um, from her own experiences from being a female compared to like her brother talking about like she's in an all guy band and how differently they're treated um, and she thus wrote what became kind of like the female anthem for being just a girl in today's society. This song was, I have to put this in here because the song was produced by Matthew Wilder, which I don't know if everyone knows, but he is the person who wrote the single Break My Stride. And I just thought that was so cool and such like a six degrees of separation. <laughs> I was like, what? That's awesome. Um, So yeah, so Just a Girl is a new wave song from the No Doubt third album, Tragic Kingdom, like I said, in 1995. Um, This song is 
typically regarded as being like their breakthrough popular no doubt song um and it did peak at number 23 on the billboard hot 100 and it entered the alternative songs hot rock songs and mainstream top 40 charts in the u.s it also topped in other countries such as australia ireland new zealand norway scotland and united kingdom um i don't know if you guys remember but this is also a video that i remember very vividly um i don't remember seeing like you know when mtv did like the making of Mm -hmm. the making of this one because i don't know if they were doing that yet but i remember the video of her being like in the restroom with all the male members coming in um and then it was kind of like the video would go sideways and we would see her like adorably dressed up um and that was just something that always stuck out with me and i was like in love with gwen stefani from this point (laughs) she is like genuinely i think one of the coolest females in media yes i like i've I've never heard anyone say anything bad about her. You never see any trash or tabloids about her. You never hear any rumors. She's never starting shit with anybody. She just seems genuinely, like, everything you see her on TV as is what you would imagine meeting her is like. Agreed. I think there's only one person who maybe could be a little upset with her or have something bad to say about her, and that would be, like, her new husband's ex-wife, but... She still maintained and didn't do anything inappropriate until after all of that was settled. Um, and I'm referring to um, Blake Shelton's ex-wife, Miranda Lambert. So, Isn't she remarried by now? I thought so, but I don't know. I don't keep up with um, country that much. I will admit, like, I, I, I want to say I saw, like, a picture of her and her husband on, like, a magazine cover recently, but I could be mm-hmm. wrong. Um, but I do, I will say two, two things I want to add. Uh, one thing is, um, I was, you know, you always kind of get a little miffed when a celebrity couple that you like breaks up. Um, and Gwen and Gavin Rosdell just seemed like they would be perfect, right? Perfect. Uh, yeah, they had beautiful kids and they, you know, they were both kind of from like the music scene. They got each other. Like they, You know, it was cute. And at the same time, like, Blake Shelton was with Miranda Lambert. And people people in the country side of music were comparing them to Johnny and June. Uh, Which, yikes. So it's more like, uh, actually, I think that's Johnny and Vivian. Yeah, let's let's, let's not do that because that's kind of awkward. Yeah, so so that was kind of awkward. Like, in retrospect, the things that people said about Blake and Miranda was very awkward after they broke up. Because I'm like, oh, God, if they can't make it, like... Who's, you know, and then it was just bizarre to like, oh, Gwen likes Blake. Right? (laughs) Nothing. Isn't that a weird thing? I mean, hey, to each his own. Girl, get you some. I mean, whatever. That's cool. But uh, that I was not, I never would have in a million years guessed. Like, because I think about, I think about this. I think about just a girl. I think about the music video and I'm thinking, you're going to end up banging a country singer yeah and I mean she dated uh what's his name Tony from the band also that's right and I remember when her and Gavin broke up I was like is she gonna get back with him (laughs) yeah um because when I got into No Doubt I was a kid and she was dating Tony yes and that was a big thing um with No Doubt and you know kind of 
the dismantling and why she did and eventually go off into her solo project. So I, I do have one tiny tidbit I want to add to your info if I can. Yeah, of course. I'm sorry. Um, and then I'm going to shut up. Um, <laughs> do you know why Eric Stefani left No Doubt? No, I actually don't know why. He went on to become an animator for The Simpsons. <gasps> oh, my God. Yeah. So I th- so how cool. I recently learned this because I've been listening to Talking Simpsons and they dissect everything. And so early season, like 1994, around that time, Eric fucking Stefani is animating Simpsons episodes. Wow. And apparently, from what I understand, I could be wrong, don't quote me, but I think there was a period of time where he was trying to do both. And then when he decided, like, he didn't want to do the band stuff anymore, he did. He decided to do the animation full-time, and he did that for a while. Wow. Good for him for following his love, though. You know? Super cool. Super cool. Anyway. I'm looking it up now, and he actually did the Ren and Stimpy show, too. Yeah, which, uh, which is funny because that appears in this movie. <laughs> I know. Oh, my God. I had no idea. That's crazy. So, okay. Anyway, I'm sorry. I'm going to let you talk now. I have said Don't too much. apologize. <laughs> what a fun fact. Yes. So, like I said, this song, Just a Girl, is considered one of their um, part – chart-popping songs and singles, um, and it is written in that new wave kind of ska style. What I love about the band, no doubt, is that they kind of reinvented themselves with each album. Like, Tragic Kingdom was kind of more ska, while Return of Saturn was heavily um, more rock, and then they had Rocksteady, which was more reggae, um, and they just kept on kind of reinventing themselves with each album. I mean, a lot of that is attributed to Gwen and her constantly wanting to incorporate all different kinds of music and styles, which is one of the things that I absolutely love about her. Um, And she really showed this off when she did go into her solo pop career, when she did kind of disband from um, No Doubt and went on her own with her album Love Angel Music Baby. That's when she was really into the Harajuku girls. Mm-hmm. which by the way that is probably one of my favorite albums of hers like I absolutely love that album um and I mean now she's singing more country songs because she's married to Blake and it's just it's crazy how at 51 she is constantly pushing and challenging her style and just pushing that envelope and just really being herself and it shows in her music and this song is just perfect for this film, I think it was used more as a satirical song because, again, we're seeing a girl tell us about her dad buying her a brand new fully loaded Jeep while she goes and picks up her rich friend who knows her struggle because everyone's jealous of her and wants to be like her um, while they're playing the song, Just a Girl, because I really am just a girl at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah, the song is just, it's very well known by them. Again, it's the one that put them on kind of on the map. They did win um, awards for this song from the MTV Awards, and everyone noticed uh, Gwen's style from this song as well. And this kind of started a whole following of Dress Like Gwen Stefani. Mm-hmm. I absolutely love that. So, um, so, yeah, and after this amazing song from Gwen Stefani and No Doubt, Just a Girl, we then 
the share and the pull up at their the most amazing looking high school. Yeah, my high school didn't look like this <laughs> at all. And they all look so much older. But yeah, their school is like, it, it almost reminds me of like 10 things I hate about you high school. The fucking castle. Yeah. 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 <laughs> like you can just tell they all have money. Um, and so Sherry is talking about uh, the different kind of social hierarchy of the school and introducing Dion. We see her boyfriend, Murray, who comes up and they have an exchange about um, fake hair in a car and uh, they start arguing and you can tell like Murray is very different than Cher and Dion or at least he uh, comes off that way. Yeah, and I actually, I thought the same thing because it's it's funny how later on, which I know you're going to cover, Frankie, Cher talks about the way guys at her high school dress, and Murray kind of yeah. dresses like the guys she doesn't like at her school. Thank um, you. Yeah, yeah. And so, but I, I was watching one of those behind-the-scenes things with Donald Faison, and he said that, like, he decided that, like, yeah, he he is a rich kid. He's a rich black kid. And uh, he he says that he is very heavily influenced by MTV, so he's wearing what he sees people wear on MTV. But he still has money. He still has privilege. He's still higher up in the rank. Like like they point out later how he's one of the more popular guys and the more socially acceptable guys. Um, yes. But he just doesn't look it, but that's just his style. I mean, he has the beeper. He has the car. He has the phone. Like he has money. Um, but he just right. kind of dresses down a little. That's all. <laughs> yeah and you know what that that does kind of match like Dion with her fashion so like pushing that fashion boundary and always trying to be you know on the up and up if you will mm-hmm. shopping with Dr. Seuss again <laughs> <laughs> which I love I I, I I love that hat though <laughs> oh I know oh I know Cher's a hater I love that hat fuck that I love it very different so we see Cher and she kind of excuses herself from the high school drama um, and she is now in her debate class with Mr. Hall where they are starting to have this random debate <laughs> about mm-hmm. the Hadians <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> which was I'm going to plug in a fun fact here. Not actually how it was written in the script, but that's how um, Alicia said it. And so they kept it because they thought it was appropriate for Cher, which I thought was very cute that no one corrected her, but still kind of, you know, maybe maybe someone should have corrected her. Well, <laughs> Amy Heckerling told them not to correct her. Yes. And I was like, <laughs> okay. And I love the way Mr. Hall looks at her the second time she says she's like oh we can da 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 Hadians and he looks at her and he's like uh he does I love it I love it it's great his non-verbals are just so funny it's so cute so yes they do have a debate um between Cher and we do see her arch nemesis Amber um and then we kind of I guess this class also serves as kind of like their homeroom period maybe it's their first class of the day Okay. Because uh, he, um, he gives them the report cards, right? Right. Exactly. Which is why I'm, I'm assuming that's kind of like the debate, but then maybe that class kind of goes into like a 15 minute, like, I don't know, like uh, advisory type period or something. 
I have no... I mean, maybe it's one of those movie magic things that we're not supposed to think about. Because I have issues with her report card, too, which will come up <laughs> later. <laughs> well, we're about to jump into that, so go ahead. So, yeah, Mr. Hall passes out report cards, and we see that Cher is not happy with her C in debate. Mm-hmm. Because she's such a good debater. <laughs> oh, oh, totally. I mean... Like, all the points are met. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally on topic and everything. Um, and this, of course, stands her to get on her cell phone and call Dion, who got a C-minus as well. And they are trying to figure out what to do to basically improve her grades because she knows that her father will kill her. Yes. What were your issues with her grades, though? It was just the comments on it or, like um... – like, even though they changed the grades, they left the negative comments about Cher on the report card. Oh. So it was like Mr. Hall said that she's unprepared and unorganized or whatever. He didn't change that, but he gave her a, a B or whatever, or an A. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, like, there were other things or, like, um, but there was a, the only nice thing that was on it was from her geometry teacher, which said nice shapes. And I'm like, are you a creeper or are you talking about the shapes that she draws? Oh my God. I'm looking at it right now and you're totally right. <laughs> like the comments are like the comments are bad, but the grades are good. On top of that, her name is Cher Hamilton and not Horowitz on the card. Yes. And my other issue, that report card says it starts from September 5th to January 6th, but the Christmas party in the Valley hasn't happened yet. You're absolutely right. Anyway, I'm sorry, guys. That's just me and my continuity stuff. Yes. Scared, <laughs> undisciplined, wouldn't discuss. Well, wouldn't dissect oh, a frog. Wouldn't dissect a frog. Yeah. Wouldn't a frog. She wouldn't dissect a frog. <laughs> Which, I mean, I, I, I understand some people don't want to do that. Oh, yeah. I wouldn't want to do that either. Um, but any hooters, um, guys, I'll post a screen. I'll get a better screenshot of the report card, and I'll post it on the blog, and you guys can see it for yourself because it's kind of funny. Um, but so after school, Cher goes home, and she has this big painting of her mom. She shows her mom her grades. And then we cut to, like, later on in the day, and Cher is putting on makeup, and we hear somewhere in the background someone is playing some mopey college music. <laughs> And it's actually the acoustic version of Fake Plastic Trees by Radiohead. Green plastic watering can. Um, so Cher's doing her lipstick and she hears this and she's like, yuck, the maudlin music of the university station? <laughs> the music comes in so faint that like, I guess the first few times I watched it, I was like, is she saying ew to herself? Because she's making such a weird face while putting on lipstick. <laughs> Did you really? The first few times I watched it, yeah. Because the song is so faint at first. It, it starts off very soft. Um, and it's not until she's like, you know, she's mocking it. And then she comes into the kitchen and she finds Josh. And this is our introduction to Josh, who's played by Paul Rudd. And she finds him in the kitchen and he's like standing in the refrigerator. <laughs> like he doesn't even look like he's looking at the refrigerator. He looks like he's staying cool, cool. in the yeah. refrigerator. 
And so she's like, she points out that he's wearing like the flannel or the plaid or whatever. She's like, oh, so the flannel shirt deal, is that a nod to the crispy Seattle weather or are you just trying to stay warm in front of the refrigerator? <laughs> so, uh, you know, Josh, and, and throughout the movie, Josh eats a lot somehow. He does. He does. He's always he eating. <laughs> and he never cleans up after himself. That was one of the things I noticed. No, and it pisses me he off. He left the whole thing. Yes, he it does. pisses me off. He left the deli meat out. <laughs> Thank you. I'm so glad that you noticed. <laughs> How can I not? It's going to go bad. <laughs> it's so rude. And it's a big chunk of meat. Can you imagine re replacing all that meat because someone left it out? Yeah. No, it's a huge tub of turkey meat. And he put like one piece, not even an appropriate amount for the sandwich he made. Do you know what's funny? I actually listened to a podcast recently where they discuss how he makes the sandwich and he's the worst sandwich maker because he takes a piece of bread, he puts the meat on the bread, he puts mayo on the meat and then puts the second piece of bread. Who makes a sandwich what? like that? A psycho. <laughs> I think that's what they said. I think that's exactly what the podcast said. I'm going to be friends with these people because I agree and I'm so glad that I'm not the only one who was like, what is this sandwich atrocity? And you know, honestly though, like even though, yes, it, it looks awful and, and just sloppy and what the fuck were you thinking? Another, the, other, the other side of me is like, you know what? That is totally and completely fucking theater food business like you know how when the character had to make food on stage and mm -hmm. it, it didn't really matter how you made it you just had to get it done before your next cue before your next line before you had to block before you had to move like all that shit that yeah. that reminds me of that because listen to how fast paced they're talking he didn't have a lot of time to make that sandwich no you're right you're right you're right so he's in college he's a boy so he's probably not even thinking about like how to make you know a chef-styled appropriate sandwich. Yeah, you're right. He's probably used to noodles. Yeah, yes. <laughs> On his little, what is that, like a plug-in stovetop thing. Yeah, so uh, so he makes it, whatever. The sandwich thing is later. But yes, yeah, so he eats a lot. And so <laughs> I know we said we're going to talk about Josh later, but then this is like she teases him about the flannel, and then he, like, grabs her? Mm-hmm. And he squeezes her or something? It's the line for me that gets me every time. He says, oh, you're filling out? That line, and I'm like, oh, I don't like that. And immediately I'm like, what the fuck Cringe. are you? What the fuck are you? Cringe. And then, like, the way she slaps him away, it's so – they were flirting from the get-go, and it's kind of weird. Yeah. And um, anyway, uh, let me just, I'm going to say it right now, guys. I'm not a fan of the Cher and Josh thing. I'm just going to say, I think Cher could have been fine by herself at the end, but I'm not going to get into that right now. Um, anyway, so he's weird with her and she obviously doesn't like him and they tease each other and he's like, oh, who's watching the Galleria? She's like, oh, good. Your forehead's catching up with your face. And they have that kind of relationship. And it turns out that her dad used to be married to his mom five years ago uh, but her dad believes that, you know, you divorce people, not children. So he mm -hmm. still wants to be in Josh's life. And Josh is eventually going to be helping with his lawyer stuff. So it kind of works out. Yeah. And um, so that's why Josh is around. And and so he actually calls her dad, dad, which Cher doesn't like. 
And Cher's like, he's not your dad. Why don't you go torture a new family? And Paul Rudd says, uh, oh, just because my mother married some guy doesn't mean he's my father. And Cher's like, actually, Cato, that's exactly what it means. Can someone explain to me who Cato is? That, oh my gosh, I don't know. I've been asking this my entire existence since I saw this film. Who the fuck is Cato? The only Cato I know is not even a Cato. It's a Kano, and he's from Mortal Kombat. Thank you. And Kano is actually the name of someone who... I know. That's why I was like, what? Yeah, so I don't know what the fuck she means by Kato. Who is Kato? Let's Google this. I don't know. We're going to have to find this out. I never realized some of the other lines in here. I, the, the first person who came up is Kato Kalin. Yeah, freeloader who was hanging around O.J. Simpson's house when Nicole Brown Simpson was murdered. That's exactly who she means then. Okay. Because the OJ thing already happened, right? Yes, at this time. Okay, so he that's who she's referring to him. Oh my gosh, we cracked the case. It only oh, took 20 years later. Dude, that bothered the shit out of me every time she said it. I was like, why don't I get this? Yes, and thank God for subtitles because then I was able to, you know, look it up because I was like, what is she saying? And I rewound it and looked at the subtitles because subtitles are life. Um, yeah, and I don't know how you can do without, um, <laughs> how would I have known that she was whining? <laughs> Shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Okay. <laughs> All right. So then, <laughs> so then Cher and Josh go into the like sitting room one of their living rooms because it seems like they have five I don't know (laughs) they go into one of the sitting rooms and they turn on like tv and she's like oh I hope you're not thinking of staying here he's like no I want to but I have a place in Westwood and so during that whole scene somewhere in the background Paul Rudd's character was listening to quote-unquote whiny college music fake plastic trees by Radiohead I know, I know. Please don't hate me for picking Radiohead. No, I knew it. It was on my list, but I was like, oh, I know Mises is going to pick this one. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, I know you don't hate me, but I hope no one else hates me. Um, They can't. Because, uh, I mean, yeah, like I... The reason I chose Fake Plastic Trees, one, because I feel like the introduction of Josh is important, mm-hmm. and two, because I feel like the lyrics are very significant, which I'm about to get into. Um, so, this song by English alt-rock band Radiohead was released in May 1995, originally appearing on their sophomore album, The Benz. I've talked about them recording The Benz before. If you guys go back and listen to... Um, What's the what's the one that we did with Sylvia? Life's Rocky Road. Yes, that's yes. it. Um, if you want to hear more about the Benz, go check that one out. It's the first episode from 2020 before everything went to shit. Fake Plastic Trees was the lead single off the album in the U.S. However, in the U.K., it was the third single. Capitol Records was expecting another creep-like hit, but the band was in a transitional period, departing drastically from the sound of their previous installment. When Fake Plastic Trees was chosen for this single, Capitol Records hired a producer to remix the song, much to the band's horror. 
This, of course, is in reference to the original track, uh, which is not the one I'm referring to today, but I just wanted to give a little bit of background on the original track. Um, the one that plays in the film is the acoustic version. Tom York says that he wrote this song on a very lonely, drunken evening when he had a breakdown of sorts. He says there was a melody in his head that he wasn't sure what to do with. So he wrote the words that came naturally to him, and he says his own lyrics actually made him laugh, and he thought that the song was funny. Oh. Yeah, because Tom has a weird sense of humor. I will say... Um, a dark sense of humor. I can get that. Yeah, yeah, very dark. Um, and I will say that uh, before I go on, I I think this is probably going to be the last the last movie that I choose Radiohead songs for for a minute because when I researched their process and how they wrote their songs, like ah, it's very emotionally draining because it usually comes from a very sad place. Yes, like it. Yeah, I'll, I'll get into it, but um, yeah, I'm gonna need some time to recover. It's emotional. <laughs> it's very yeah yeah. There's there's depth here. So. When the band attempted to record the song, they were not happy with what was coming out. Tom said he was super pissed about how it sounded. Their producer asked everyone but Tom to step outside, and so he had Tom record a take. With just an acoustic guitar and his voice, Tom York performed the song three times and then broke down in tears. <sighs> they then used one of the takes from that he did, and the band filled in their parts around his. When asked if he minded how Cher talks about his music in the film, Tom is quoted as saying, I suppose it does piss me off, but I am a moaning crybaby. Besides, the characters in that film aren't the kind of people I'd want to like Radiohead. They're just average, two-dimensional Beverly Hills kids, and the person who's actually listening to us in the film is the only three-dimensional character. Damn. So I think that this song is relevant considering who our main character is in the film because the song begins by describing a girl who is surrounded by plastic and everything she owns is plastic and she lives in this very artificial world. And as the song goes on, there's a shift from third person to first person as Tom is singing and he talks about the man that she lives with and how he actually used to be a plastic surgeon. He was literally inserting plastic into people's bodies and people's faces and making people fake. And in the song, he sounds like he's doubting how genuine his relationship with her is because he says, she looks like the real thing. She feels like the real thing. It's like he's trying to convince himself that what they have between them isn't fake like everything else. Damn. And I think it's that's perfect. So yeah, yeah. Like, I think that's perfect for Cher because she's very materialistic. And it, everything that makes her happy are things that she has, things that she can hold, things that she possesses, like her stuff, you know? Right. When it shouldn't be about that, she's still stuck in that very me-centric world. And I, I, as I was researching this song, I, I came across an article that, pointed out something that I thought was very poignant and uh, that really stuck with me. It said that, you know, if you ever want to go to a place where there is no plastic and no metal, you have to be surrounded by plastic and metal to get there. You have to leave your man-made house and get into your man-made car, or I guess now Tesla cut computers, but computers mm -hmm. are man-made. 
your man-made car, and then you drive to a built airport by man, and you jump into a plane that was built by man, and you're surrounded by all this metal and plastic and artificial, and until you fly off to some distant land where there's nothing but trees and grass and ground and dirt and naturalness, no Wi-Fi, no buildings, no air pollution, no city lights, it takes a lot to get to a place like that now. Oh my God. And they're so right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So right. Yeah. And so it's, so, you know, when you think about it, it, like say if you're in the woods in the middle of nowhere, completely disconnected, that's what it takes to be disconnected is to be in the woods in the middle of nowhere. So that's just kind of a perspective. <laughs> yeah. Major yeah, yeah. So that's that just really made me think of Cher. That made me think of like, you know, of course she's going to think that that's all that matters because she thinks she's surrounded by what matters. She thinks she has what matters. But if you take all that stuff, if you take away her clothes, if you take away her car, her phone, her money, you leave her in the middle of nowhere, will she realize what matters? Which is funny because that actually kind of happens. And what matters? Who does she call? She calls Josh. Yep. So that's interesting. I thought that was kind of cool. And that's one big reason why I had to talk about this song. Fun fact, one person who has covered fake plastic trees is actually the woman they used to open for, Alanis Morissette. (gasps) Oh, I would love to hear that cover. (laughs) Yeah, I actually, I did listen to it. Normally I I wait to listen to the covers for when I'm uh, putting the blog together, but I went ahead and listened to this one. Unfortunately, it is a live cut, Mm. um, and it sounds like it was recorded in a very intimate setting, so you can hear people kind of chattering, and, you know, it, it sounds like it was audio taken from an audience member and not official audio. But she still Alanis Morissette that shit, and I will put it on the blog. I am excited. So, yeah. Josh and Cher just kind of bicker, and they eat dinner with her dad. And this is when her dad kind of starts making Cher feel bad because Cher's, like, teasing Josh. And he's like, well, at least Josh knows what he wants to do, and he's on the right path. You know, I would like to see you have some direction. And so she's just kind of like, whatever, like she doesn't like to admit that her dad is right. And she doesn't like to admit that Josh is a good example, but you know, whatever she's, she's in her own mindset. Um, That's when her dad asked for a report card. She's like, oh, it's not ready yet. (laughs) Yeah. And she's like, what do you mean it's not ready yet? And then she's, she gives this like speech about like, oh, well, they're trying to lowball me, daddy. And I know you said never to take a first offer. So I figured these grades are just a jumping off point to start negotiations. And he seems very satisfied by this answer. Yeah, yeah, because that's a very lawyer right. answer. He's like, all right, <laughs> sounds good. Uh, of course, it's kind of weird that, you know, that's what they would do. Never in a moment. I remember my sister <clears throat> is a college professor, and when she used to live, when we all, all used to live together, I used to watch her write work emails and shit. And I remember once distinctly, a student emailed her and said, like, hey, uh, I really needed to make a this grade on my paper so that I can maintain this. Do you mind giving me the two extra points? And she was cutthroat. No, I gave you the grade you earned. Maybe you can talk to someone else. Because it's true. <laughs> I was like, 
So I will say there was one time in a college class where my grade was um, an 89.8. And I did ask if they were going to round it up to that 90 because, you know, typically grades are not with decimals. Um, right. And they said no. And so I was upset. <laughs> Okay, but that's bullshit because eight rounds up. Right? That was my thought process. And I was like, but of course me, I didn't want to argue with my professor because, you know, what if they then decided to say like, oh, well, it was an error anyways, and now you have like an 85 or something. Yeah, I get it. I get it. But, oh, man, that's bullshit, though, because it's like, okay, four and under, yeah, you don't round up. Exactly. Five and over, you round up. Everybody knows that. Yeah, exactly. So that was my experience with asking for grades, and, you know, Cher is just better at it than me. And that is what she did. She, We see her going around and, like, telling her, you know, different teachers like oh this her gym teacher she said like this boy broke her heart and the teacher's like they're evil they're useless (laughs) they're all like this don't feel bad don't feel bad I love her (laughs) oh she's great she's hilarious Miss Stoger yes yeah Miss Stoger's hilarious and so we see her trying to figure out what to do and that's when they decide to set up um Miss Geist and Miss Paul and it all starts with some Italian roast coffee, which sounds disgusting to me, but whatever. Whatever. <laughs> they, uh, <laughs> I hate coffee. Sorry, unpopular opinion. I know. Oh, yeah. No, I hate coffee. Just the smell alone gives me headaches. I, I don't know how people work in Starbucks. It, mm-mm. No, thank you. It's, it's too much. And I don't understand all the lingo. I will be the first to admit. Like, I've totally off topic, but I've had to go pick up orders for my mom, and I'm like, they tell me like, oh, well, we don't have this. And I'm like, I don't know what to get as a replacement because I don't know what this is like. <laughs> right. Yes. I don't I know, know yeah. what blonde drip. I don't get it. <laughs> yeah. Get it. No, guys, let's just, honestly, we all know that tea <laughs> is the superior beverage and it's less complicated. Absolutely. So let's just, let's oh all make God, the yeah. switch. Just give me some hot tea. I mean, yeah. please. It's good for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. very good for you mm-hmm. and it's not rough on people who have like IBS and stuff like that so it's, it's and it definitely doesn't smell as bad <laughs> no it's a superior so anyways Cher and Dee chase down Mr. Hall and she's like this is one line that I have a really big problem with and you know why because she's like I'm such an R word mm-hmm. which didn't age well but I get it at the time it still doesn't make it less hurtful um Mm -hmm. she says that she takes her dad's sucky italian roast and she offers it to him and then they're like or you could share with miss geist and then we see d and Cher running to go like fix up miss geist they pull out her two random like hair clips that look like the ones when you're getting your hair cut (laughs) and like take her glasses off and fluff her hair up and pull her waist in with her little jacket and she's like did you sign up for the environmental fair and that's all she cares about and she's so adorable She's so adorable with her glasses, and she looks like a little owl to me, Miss Geist does. She's, yes, because her eyes are so big. And she's just one of those teachers who's, like, she's so caring about what she does. Mm-hmm. And, like, that really is, like, you can just tell, like, that's what she, like, she loves to help others. Um, and she just kind of laughs the girls off after they kind of fix her up and, He's like, not a total Betty, but it'll do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so they send her on their way. They're off to PE. 
And um, of course, Dion's like, oh, I feel like ditching. And Cher's like, no. And that's when we see them sit down on a bench, Miss Geist and Mr. Hall, and their legs are folded in. And so they're totally evaluating all of their body language. And then they're sharing digits. And they're like, oh my God, this is so cute. Yes. Look at this photo op. Yes, it is super cute. And I love how, like, right before she chose to, um, to hook them up, she says that Mr. Hall needs a good, healthy boink fest. Yes. <laughs> uh, and this actually goes into yes. my next song. So after they see them together on the bench, it, they go into a montage. So we see like Mr. Hall and he's getting super cute and like combing what little hair he has, mm-hmm. which is adorable. Um, and then we see like all the students are getting their report cards and like their updated report cards and Cher, you can tell, is like super happy. And we can see like all the students around her are also happy with their grades. Elton even like wraps his arms around her and kisses her, which I'm like, how did you not know he liked you? Right? Like, I remember the first few times I watched this movie, I started to think he was her boyfriend. He was being so, like... Same. Did she really never notice that he liked her when he was doing that? I don't know, because there's very few males in their group. Like, in their close group. And, of course, Dion, you know, has her man, and so he's not trying to, like, kiss Cher like that, right? It's a weird dynamic. It's not a cool friendship to me. (laughs) Right, right. But then I think this also can just kind of go into like, that's just how self-absorbed Cher is. Like, she didn't even notice that this guy was like pining for her. Ooh, yeah. Uh, Because, I mean, later on, she doesn't even know Christian's gay. (laughs) Yes, agreed. And I feel like both of those things are very obvious to the viewer, but like, she doesn't get it. So then, like, the whole student body notices, like, Miss Geist is, like, in a much better mood, and, like, Mr. Hall is happier, and all her friends appreciate her, and the whole student body applauds Cher at lunch, which is so cool and never actually happens in real life. (laughs) With her little curtsy. Yeah. Um, And so the whole time we saw the montage, we were hearing Change by Lightning Speeds. And Change debuted on the Lightning Seeds third album, Jollification, which was released on September 5th, 1994. It was one of four singles released in the UK. The album peaked at number 12 in the UK, and it received platinum status just over a year later. The Lightning Seeds were founded by Ian Brody. His roots stem from the post-punk era in Liverpool, England. At the time, he was a part of a band called Big in Japan. The other members of this band included... Bill Drummond from the KLF, Jane Casey from Pink Military, Holly Johnson from Frankie Goes to Hollywood, and Budgie, whose real name is Peter Clark, who is from The Slits. Uh, While together, the band also created Zoo Records, an independent label. Some of the bands whose music was produced there include Echo and the Bunnymen, Teardrop Explodes, and The Pale Fountains. Big in Japan would eventually break up, and Brody began to record records by himself. He provided the, his own vocals and his own music for the tracks. 
When he was given the opportunity to produce the album, he released it under the name The Lightning Seeds. Uh, so technically, The Lightning Seeds is one person. That's so cool. Mm-hmm. Kind of like when Dave first started Foo Fighters. Yep. <laughs> Same thing. Uh, so actually, he named it Lightning Seeds because that is, uh, quote, the imaginary group he had envisioned to write his songs for in the hope it would eventually become a reality. So, by the time he began to produce Jollification, on which this song, Change, is featured, he had two partners working on the music with him, engineer Senzo Townsend and producer Simon Rogers. Ian had a new outlook on the music. He wanted to commit to becoming a live band, and he wanted to promote this next album. Brody worked on all the songs on Jollification, some he co-wrote with the musicians featured, and some he wrote by himself. Change is one of the songs he solely wrote. Ian expanded his team by calling upon some of his musician friends, such as Martin Campbell from Rain, Chris Sherrick, who would eventually go on to be an Oasis, and Ian's own neighbor, Paul Hemmings, who was a founding member of The Laws. This same group of people were the basis of the first live band lineup for The Lightning Seeds, though the lineup would not stay consistent as time went on. Ian Brody has been the only consistent member throughout, and the quote-unquote band is still active but it's such a sweet song like while it plays during their montage and like you watch them fall in love and it's super cute and you know it's just like Cher said she's like old people can be so sweet (laughs) I love how she says that it's adorable it's such a cute scene good song I love that scene and I love the montage that's one of the things I love about the 90s movies so after this part, we do see that um, they are at PE, and their PE is different. They're like all lined up on a wall, taking turns hitting tennis balls, um, or not taking turns hitting tennis balls because like Cher gets up and she's like, "Oh my god, this is a lawsuit waiting to happen." Dion's like, "Oh, my tennis instructor sent me a note and doesn't want me to do anything that would like derail his teachings." Mm-hmm. And then Amber, her surgeon doesn't want her doing anything with balls flying in her face. <laughs> <laughs> well, there goes your social life. Which I've always loved that line. <laughs> they cut that line out on TV. They sure do. And I love that all of them are dressed in like black and white or some sort. And can we just talk about Amber's shorts for a second, though, and how unflattering they are? She makes some very interesting choices as far as her fashion and hair throughout the film. Yes. Like, they did her wrong. (laughs) I think that, like, Amber is supposed to be one of those characters who, like, she tries the new thing and she thinks it's daring and she thinks it looks good, and but people are staring at her for the wrong reasons. Yeah. She thinks she looks good. And even Cher will explain it later, so. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Another shareism. Mm-hmm. Um, so we then are introduced to a new character. The I'm assuming principal comes up and says uh, we have a new one and introduces Ty Frazier, who is played by Brittany Murphy. And we see that she's very different looking than the rest of the girls in PE. She is in like vans and, you know, baggy pants, um, a kind of grungy look, if you will. She looks like she has a, I forget what's on her shirt. Now that I'm thinking about it. a troll, correct? Oh yeah, 
Mm-hmm. 90s. Yeah, she has a troll on her shirt and then she's wearing plaid. And her hair is obviously like dyed a very different color. Um, her accent is different as well. And um, they immediately, all of the girls start judging her. And of course, Cher and Dion are like, oh my, Cher is like, she needs help. Um, look at her. And Dion's like, no, that would like, what did she say? Like, our whole stock would plummet. Yes. <laughs> Which I don't even truly understand. Does that mean that they would like lose all of money on her? Or what What was that joke? Okay. So, well, so the way I interpreted it is like if they are seen hanging out with someone who looks like Ty, their value goes down in the eyes of the student body. Oh, okay. Their okay. stock will plummet. People will look at look down on them the way they would look at Ty by herself. You are 100% correct. Yes, I did not catch on to that. That's a, that absolutely makes sense. You're right. So, so Dion's shallow. <laughs> very shallow. <laughs> so we do start to see some, you know, goodness in Cher like she does want to be good so they tell Ty to come over and they start talking to her and they see right away like Ty is very different um you know that she needs more guidance and so they walk her to lunch and you know they're talking and my favorite scene with this is Murray comes up and tells Dion, like, woman, let me get $5. And Dion's like, I've told you not to call me woman. And then Murray goes into his whole, like, highly educated spiel about feminism and words. And, like, uh, and Ty's just like, oh, my God, you guys sound like grown ups. And they both look at her like, well, this is a really good school. <laughs> okay, but, like, he asked her for $5. And then he walked away. He still didn't get it. That's cool. He's, he's is he okay with that? I yes, because Miss Dion didn't give it to him. So, excuse me, Miss Dion. <laughs> Murray is adorable. He's a whole mood in this movie. I love it. He is adorable. I'm like, oh my gosh. I just, I love him. I love him. So, so cute. He's so, very cute. Yeah. So Ty's like, okay, I'm going to go get a drink. Do y'all want one? And so we see her go off to the cafeteria and then Dion's like, okay, she's sweet. Like, yeah, let's go ahead. Like mm-hmm. giving Cher the approval. Mm-hmm. And Cher is so excited to like, take her under her so wing. She's like, oh, project. Like project. so excited. Yeah. So Which excited. I mean, I, I admit like if, I guess if I was in Cher's position and I was given a, a, a blank canvas, so to speak, I might want to, you know, influence it. (laughs) Right. It's very Jawbreaker-esque to me for a good reason. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I I totally see that comparison. Yes. Like, I feel like Jawbreaker Mm -hmm. is like a dark comedy clueless. Yes. I'm so glad you could see that connection. Totally. Yes. 100%. (laughs) Um, And then, guys, I hope you're not tired of hearing me talk because my next song is here. No, go ahead. I love it. And mine is right after. So we're perfect. Yes. Okay. And then I chose this song because I'm just going to say it right now. Ty and Travis is like OTT. Like, (laughs) I love Ty and Travis. Like, even like, no matter who Brittany Murphy and Breckenmeyer starred alongside for the rest of their careers, I always, always, always thought that they were cute together as Ty and Travis. Like, I loved them together. I thought they were so fucking cute. 
And the scene where they meet is just, oh, fucking adorable. <laughs> yes, so cute. So we get to the cafeteria and we're seeing like the lunch line and we hear this kind of like whiny-ish guitar come in. And it is, of course, <laughs> My Iron Lung by Radiohead. <laughs> So Ty and Travis are in the lunch line and like Travis is like making fun of the school food, which makes her laugh. And it's so cute. Yes. <laughs> and then he sees like her binder. Her binder's got like all these doodles on it. He's like, oh, that's nice representation. And she's like, thanks. And his skateboard's got all these stickers all over it. She's like, those are really nice stickers. And he's like, oh, well, I really want to like, you know, start with a blank slate and maybe have like one focus like on it, like maybe like Marvin the Martian. And she and Ty is just like, her mind is blown because she's like, you're fucking kidding because I can draw Marvin the Martian. And so instantly they have this connection and it's this neat, cute thing. It's so adorable. And he's like, really? She's like, yeah. So she's like, she shows him like this effortless drawing that she did of Marvin the Martian on her binder. And he's so amazed by, like, her art. And he thinks that, like, she's really good at, like, doodling. And he's, like, flattering her about her art and, like, all the little guys that she draws on her papers and stuff. And she's showing him. And, like, the way he looks at her is, like, so sweet. And she doesn't even notice at first, you know? Yes. Like, he's, like, smitten with her immediately. Yes. Yes. And, like, and I think it's just, it's so cute. Um, And, and... Oh, man, just Ty and Travis forever, guys. <laughs> They're adorable. They're adorable. They are adorable. And so they meet during this super awesome song called My Iron Lung. My Iron Lung is the third EP by English rock band Radiohead, and on this EP was My Iron Lung. So the EP debuted in 1994 on September 26th, and while Capitol Records did handle the release in the U.S., Parlophone Records released it in the U.K. In addition to My Iron Lung, the EP features the following tracks, The Trickster, Lewis Mistreated, Punch Drunk Love Six Sing Along, Permanent Daylight, Lozenge of Love, You Never Wash Up After Yourself, and the acoustic version of Creep. So with the exception of My Iron Lung, all of these tracks were left off of Radiohead's second album, The Benz. This song was recorded at Rack Studios in central London at first, but the band wasn't happy with the cut, so they chose to use the audio from a live performance of the song, which was recorded in May 1994 at the London Astoria. The only thing they re-recorded for the final track was Tom's vocals, and they also removed the sound of the audience. Tom says the EP was a, quote, collection of songs that did not fit on the album, and that the EP was, quote, for the Radiohead fans. My Iron Lung, the song not EP, was written as a response to their label, EMI, who asked them for another song that would reach the same heights as Creep. I feel like they were constantly berated to meet that creep level. Like, yeah. And that's not what they yeah. were about. Exactly. Like, everyone started to see creep as, like, this, the highest standard, like, the best that Radiohead had, and they kept wanting them to top it. And it's like, just let us be. The way that that song followed that band, like, it... I'm going to get into it, actually, here. Um, 
because I do want to ask my next question is, have you ever seen an iron lung? Yes, actually. It's kind of horrifying. Yeah. Uh, you are talking about the machine, correct? Yeah. Where is the scary movie about the iron lung? Where? Who? Why hasn't anyone made a scary movie about being trapped in the iron lung? Because serial killer, yeah, that, that'd be a good one. I mean, I wouldn't watch it. But holy shit. They're terrifying. Dude. They're terrifying. In case you are unaware, people who are listening, an iron lung, and I wrote in parentheses, guys, I'm sorry, I pulled straight from Wikipedia because I tried to Google iron lung, no pictures, and after scrolling past some very sad headlines, there were pictures. So yeah. I don't mean to laugh. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. But that's, I had to write that because I tried to Google it and it was not a good idea. So an iron lung is a Mm -hmm. negative pressure ventilator, a mechanical respirator that encloses most of a person's body and varies the air pressure in the closed space. It is used to simulate breathing and assist when the muscles can't or something. I didn't click on the wiki page. I just had my cursor over the link is what I wrote. Okay. So um, it looks horrifying. It looks like a coffin. It looks like an incinerator. It looks like an oven. It, it like, I can't even talk about it. So anyway, um, within the lyrics of My Iron Lung is actually a very snarky dig at Creep. And I'm not sure if you've ever noticed, but Tom sings... This is our new song, just like the last one, A Total Waste of Time, My Iron Lung. And he's comparing Creep to an iron lung because the song gave the band life, but then it seemed to be the only thing keeping them alive. They actually almost broke up because of it. Wow. Yeah. And if you think about it, Creep was on their first album, and they almost Mm -hmm. broke up after that. Do you know how much Radiohead we would have missed out on if they broke up after their first album? I'm so glad they didn't. Can you imagine? (laughs) It's a sad life. It's very quiet, yeah. So, um, there you go, guys. Don't Google Iron Lung. Cool. Ever. (laughs) (laughs) So, anyway, uh, yeah. So, then Ty goes and joins Cher and Dion at lunch. And she is just so smitten and, like, ready to tell the girls about this cool guy that she met. And they're like, oh, describe. And so Ty's like, you know, he's got long hair. He's really funny. And, like, right off, he offers me some smoke. And then she points, like, there he is. And, of course, they see Travis balancing his food on his skateboard. And he ends up, like, clumsily dropping stuff. And, of course, mm-hmm. Sharon and Dion already are aware of him. And they're like, are you talking about drugs? Mm-hmm. And Ty's like, yeah. And then Cher, in her infinite wisdom, Ty, how old are you? And Ty says she'll be 16 in May. And she says, my birthday's in April. And as someone older, can I please give you some advice? She's like, it is one thing to spark up a doobie and get laced at parties, but it is quite another to be fried all day. And then Dion, do you see the distinction? And I always like, no. <laughs> Because do I know? Did you explain anything? <laughs> Not really. <laughs> then they go on to say, like, Lodi's, like Misa said, hang over on the grassy knoll. Like, no respectable girl actually dates them. And, of course, they get in her head. Like, you don't want to start off on the wrong foot, do you? And Ty's like, well, no, of course not. Because you can see that she 
is wanting to be that popular girl. Like she was super excited when they called her over mm-hmm. to talk to her over a PE. Like the fact that they included her, that's huge. And of course they don't let her forget that. They constantly are reminding her like how great it is that she is hanging out with D and her. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they're like, Oh, the fact that you hang out with us speaks very highly of you. Exactly. And so of course shares like, let's do a makeover and they um Ty's like no and then Dion's like pushing in she's like no like these are Cher's main thrill in life and um and then she finally is like okay sure why not and she's like I've never had fake friends before which I always think is so hilarious (laughs) and Dion's face always cracks me up because she's like what? <laughs> what does that even mean? Like, I just think it's so funny. It's such a random line, but it just cracks me up. Mm-hmm. And we immediately go into another great 90s movie montage of the girls giving Ty her makeover. And while we are in this montage, we hear the song Supermodel by Jill Sobel. This is the best montage in the film. Isn't it? Yes. A hundred percent. It's so cute. So they are, you know, of course, stripping her hair um, and taking all the like really bright uh, box red from her hair. Um, and then she, of course, is like laughing and goofing off. And you can tell Dion's like a little annoyed with her because <laughs> yeah. she's not taking it more seriously. And then they're doing her makeup and they're refixing her hair and Cher cuts her shirt like to show like her little midriff. And actually the outfit that she's wearing when they cut her shirt with those pants, I think is adorable with her sneakers. Like I would have worn that. And so, of course, Ty is a little self-conscious, so they change her outfits a couple times. They're going through her closet, um, and then they end up in this adorable kind of like burgundy and maroon skirt, long sleeve top combo, and you can just tell Ty is just over the moon, so excited. Like, her whole face is lighting up, um, and I just, I had to pick this scene because it's such a big moment um, because, of course, Sharon Dion, I guess, don't really understand how much they're changing Ty in this scene. And the song that they play it to, Supermodel, is actually, uh, Jill states that it's a satirical song. Um, it wasn't written by just her. It was originally written by um, David Burwald of a rock duo named David and David. Um, and they contacted Jill about singing it for this movie and on her album. Um, and Jill actually asked to change some of the lines in the movie because she wanted to have her say in it because after listening to the song and then actually being able to like see the movie prior to its release, she wanted the song to match the scene. And to her, this scene was about that girl who is always looking up to be like the popular girl and finally getting to feel what it's like. And then having all of that, like, stress from outside sources on her and the lyrics absolutely follow that um in kind of a really dark way and I know Misa's not a fan of like when we sing those dark lyrics to the really happy kind of upbeat uh tones but 
um, some of the lyrics that really stood out were, I didn't eat yesterday, I didn't eat today, I didn't eat tomorrow, so I'm going to be a supermodel one day. Um, and there's even a plug in there about Tori Spelling, which I often thought of Cher as very much a Tori Spelling or a Hilton because, you know, what did they do? Nothing. Their dad just happens to have money. The song is saying like, so I'm beautiful. I'm going to be a supermodel, which at first hearing it, you're like, oh, okay, yeah, like anyone can be a supermodel because they're beautiful. But Jill has gone on to say that it was also written about her eating disorder and like the unofficial standards that people in Hollywood place on young girls, especially at this time, um, because of what we were seeing in the media when the song came out um, in 1995. Um, it was like skinny was skinny was it. I don't know if you remember that whole thing from like here up until like the early 2000s, like hip bones, low pants, all of that was during this time. When I think about low rise pants, I think of Jessica Biel in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake and how those took place in the 70s. But like those pants were not 70s pants. Agreed. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, random. Yes. No, you are absolutely fine. So, yeah, so this song, um, like I said, it just really spoke volumes to me because even though it is in a kind of um, a, like happy tone, it, it really does have some underlying awareness for just how much like Dee and Cher are going to affect Ty's life and like how she thinks it's all fun and like it's just a quick little makeover, but it does actually end up really turning Ty into a not so great person. And we see that at the end of the movie. Um, this what this is one of Jill's um, kind of like her top two hits. She's kind of a two-hit wonder, if you will. And that's what she calls herself. Um, from her first single, which was I Kissed a Girl in 1995. And then this next song, Supermodel. Those are pretty much the only songs she's really known for. Um, she is kind of like a folk indie rock type singer and songwriter from um, America. Um, and she kind of has stated that she follows those more like 70s tones and grooves, frequently using like Randy Newman, Harry Chapin, those kind of um, folk singer songwriters. Um, there was not a lot of information on this song. Um, it is off of her second album that was titled Jill School. And this wasn't really a super popular song on that album, though. So there was not a whole lot of information about it. Um, I did find an article about her talking about this song after. Um, and like I said, she struggled with her own eating disorder. And so she absolutely wanted to bring that into this song and shine a light on kind of that beauty industry complex with weight and excessively working out, which actually does happen in the next scene in this movie. We see Cher and Ty doing one of the like Cindy Crawford like steel buns, buns exercises <laughs> right sorry <laughs> buns of steel um and so uh Jill has said several times you know that this scene um reminds her of her elementary and high school and middle school days and she is just really happy to have been a part of this movie 
Um, and at first she really wasn't happy to be a part of it. She was like, I don't want to be a part of some stupid ass teen movie is actually what she said. But then when she got to see it, she was like, okay, I get it. And that's when she wanted to be a part of it. Um, there has not been a lot of covers of this song that I could find, like anyone that I knew. Um, I did find a couple of like random people on um, YouTube, but no one who was notable. So uh, I'm sorry, I, that sounds rude. I don't mean to say like that people on YouTube aren't notable. You know what I mean, right? Yes. <laughs> I know what you mean. Yes. Don't worry. They can't hear you. Okay. Sorry, people. So, <laughs> so yeah. Um, and of course, most people who don't know her for this song, Supermodel, they do know that her song, I Kissed a Girl, was one of the um, reasons Katy Perry actually did her song, I Kissed a Girl. Um, yes. Can we have some recognition for the original? I kissed a girl, girl. Yes. So this is Jill. Jill is the original, the original writer, the original everything. And she is openly bisexual. Uh, woohoo, Pride Month. Um, and she said that at first she wasn't really upset about Katie using her title um, or even using it as like, so it was kind of the inspiration. There we go. Her inspiration for writing her version of I Kissed a Girl. However, fans and um, several magazines, including um, Hip Online, Glitterati Gossip, and The Rumpus, all said that Jill's song actually is more popular amongst the LGBTQ plus community because there was actual emotional content to her lyrics. Um, I remember watching the music video in high school because, um, oh my gosh, please don't quote me because I'm not remembering this right. But it was, I know it was in the middle of the night. We had digital cable and uh, I i was either watching MTV2 between music videos and a Beavis and Butthead skit. They showed I Kissed a Girl. Or they showed it between episodes of Degrassi, which I was also watching. Don't care what you think of that. <laughs> the new generation. <laughs> Let's add that in there. The new By the way. <laughs> um, but I remember watching that music video. And I, I remember like I remember thinking like, oh, I haven't heard of this. And, da, da, da. and it turns out Jill Sobel. Is that how you say it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Jill Sobel is actually on another soundtrack that I really, really love, that I really, really want to talk about one day. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah. So, But I'm learning a lot about her through you right now, so that's really cool. I didn't know that she was like, I didn't know that she didn't want to be in this movie. Can you imagine how different it would be? Right. Like, she really didn't. When they approached her with it, she was like, oh, no, like, I don't want to be on some stupid teen movie. And then she actually called it some dumb teenage movie. And then, like I said, after she saw it, she was like, oh, my God, it was freaking great. And she was like, I got it. Like, I get it. I get the satirical part of it. And that's why she went for it um, and she agreed to it. Um, before I end on the song, there is one thing because Jill is very chill. Like she did not attack Katie for like using her song title or anything, but there is one interview where like in a um, satirical mindset in a tongue in cheek time, she was like, I've never been pissed off or jealous. And then she's like, well, you know what? Maybe there are a few moments. And so here goes for the first time in an interview. Fuck you, Katy Perry. You fucking stupid, maybe not good for the gays. Title thieving. Haven't heard much else. So not quite sure if you're a talented fucking little slut. End quote. God, that felt good. And so she went on and explained later 
that no, she doesn't really care because her song is what it is and that's what she's known for. Um, and she's okay with her song not being considered like a pop hit or whatever. Her song, like the community has spoken out, is more of an emotional song. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're very different narratives. And one thing that I do want to, I, I want to say about stuff like that when it comes to like, I, I, I guess I can call it like an artificial rivalry between two people who really could not care less that people are comparing them like that. Like, I feel like when it comes to two people like that and fans, the fans are the ones that create the rift. The fans are the ones who make it up that there's some kind of friction or bad blood or something like, you know, like even like WWE and AEW don't compete, but the fans love to pretend that they are, you know, Mm -hmm. they love to compare what the one did to what the other one did this week. And Oh, they, Oh, they got that from them. And Oh, now they're stealing it. No, I don't think they actually have time to watch that show. So like, I think you're making it, I think it makes fans feel better for them to, for there to be some kind of like rift. I don't, I don't know what it is about, I don't know, they're bloodthirsty. Maybe it makes them more, like, human-like, I guess. I don't know. I think it's stupid. Like, it is what it is. And like you said, Jill was happy to be known as the, like, she was happy to not be known as the I kiss the girl girl anymore. Mm -hmm. Kate Mm -hmm. Kate took over that. So, yeah. So, again, we get this amazing song during, like Nisa said, the best montage in the movie it's such a cute montage, even though there are some dark undertones to it because we don't see it yet, but there is some foreshadowing to how Ty is turning into that supermodel, superficial plastic. And yeah. And then from here, we go into that Buns of Steel workout. <laughs> <laughs> and Ty is so cute because she's like, my buns don't feel nothing like steel. <laughs> yeah. It's cute. Like Cher's like Cher's like becoming her mentor now and she's giving her assignments. Mm-hmm. Yes, for their body and mm-hmm. mind. Oh, oh, but then they should do something for mankind for a few hours. <laughs> Just for a few hours, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and this is when Josh makes his weird sandwich. Oh god, yeah. <laughs> and he calls Cher out, which I appreciate. Yes. Okay, and so like did we talk about the scene where he took her driving? No, we kind of skipped over that. Okay, because that's kind of where, like, Cher started to kind of see herself from an introspective, like, light. Because, like, he starts talking about how, like, they're going to get Marky Mark, who these days we call him Mark Wahlberg. Yes. Um, he's like, Marky Mark's going to plant a tree. And Cher's like, Josh, why don't you just hire a gardener? Which is such a, I mean, her whole comment just reminds me of... It's just that rose-tinted world. Like, it's, it's, they did such a good job of bringing in Emma to that. And, like, even, like, the Marie Antoinette, like, let them eat cake. Like, this doesn't understand the bigger picture of it. And so then that's when, that's when Josh is like, maybe Marky Mark wants to use his popularity for a good cause. And, and he calls her selfish. And so she, she gets it in her head that maybe she is kind of selfish and so underneath all of this, like, you know, trying to help Ty and take her under her wing, she's also trying to prove Josh wrong. She's also mm-hmm. trying to tell him, like, no, I'm not just superficial. I don't just shop at the mall. I, 
you know, I'm being good. I, I'm being a good person and I'm imparting good knowledge onto someone and her life will be better because of me. Like Cher yeah. genuinely believes that yeah. this is going to happen. Just because she's in her life, her world is like 10 times better is basically what she's saying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is so crazy. Yeah. And so then that's when Josh is like watching her teach Ty all this stuff. And he's like, oh, so you found someone even more clueless than you are. And you're making her up like your Barbie doll. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they're still kind of like not on the same page. And <laughs> she's singing the fucking Mentos commercial. Oh, which I love. Her voice is so cute. She's cute. Yeah. I hope not sporadically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So this is when Josh meets Ty, and this is kind of when, like, I don't know, she she looks at him. I guess what this is why what happens later starts to make sense is, like, she was already kind of, you can tell she thinks he's cute. She's looking at him in this scene. I, I definitely see that. Yeah. I think so, for sure. And I don't yeah. think Cher catches on to that. Um, no. But, yeah, Ty's definitely looking at him. Especially because I think of his comment about sterilization, and Ty thinks that's <laughs> hilarious his yes that shit was hilarious and I think you know a good idea exactly exactly uh super super funny moment and of course Cher doesn't laugh at that but Ty starts like snorting laughing Ty gets it yeah (laughs) and then from here we then get the introduction of the new and improved you can't see my air quotes but they're there uh improved Ty (laughs) as they're walking onto campus and everyone is like fawning over Ty. Mm-hmm. And, then, and Dee's like, I'm cavelling. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, Travis comes up and he's like, oh, did you get a flyer, Ty? And then Ty's super excited because it's a party. And, of course, they kind of dump on the party because um, it's in the valley. The cops normally show up there. Like, it's just the local loadies. They don't really think anything much of it. Um, it's beneath them, basically. It's it's basically like the uh, the third class below deck party on Titanic to them. Ooh, yes, that's exactly right. And Ty, who is still very much interested in Travis, is you know like, oh, do you think Travis is going to be there? And they're both like, I thought we moved on from there. Don't sell yourself short now. Like, you know, you could have anyone you want. And um, you've got something going for you that no one in the school has. And Ty's like, oh, I'm not a virgin. <laughs> and Cher looks at her like, I mean mystery. And again, of course, tells her like how popular she is and the fact that she's hanging with B and Cher. That means so highly of her, you know? And so then they're going through the list of like the available appropriate approved men in the school. And they land on Elton. Because he's available. And I hate how they're like, they talk about him. Like, they're like, oh, who's Elton? And he's like, oh, he's so popular. Okay. Like, that doesn't tell me anything. Yeah. I think at that point, they weren't like, they weren't going to match her with Ty because she had stuff in common with Elton. They were going to match her with Ty because it would bring her up in the rank. Right. It fit their, what they thought was appropriate for their social construct. Of dating yeah like what they wanted for her what they want that exactly. they thought that she should have uh even though like you can dress a girl up from the hood all you want but the girl's still gonna have hood in her that's why she still likes travis exactly it's very much um what's it called what's that movie with eliza where they changed her eliza 
uh, My Fair Lady. It makes me think of My Fair Lady. Any movie like this where they go through like a makeover um, and they're like changing her accent or they're changing the way that she is, like it's very much, it makes me think of My Fair Lady. So yeah, so they're like, oh, you know, oh, he said you were giving him a toothache. And she's like, what does that mean? And she's like, it means that he thought you were sweet. And then um, D, of course, is like, is that true? And she's like, which is so fucking funny to me. And Dion's like, you're so bad. <laughs> I don't know, man. This whole, again, the Elton thing is just so fucking, God damn it, share your idiot. Right. And then, I mean, <laughs> later on in the next part, like, they're taking photos and Cher's, like, trying to get them together. He, like, rolled her, his eyes, you know? Um. Yeah, okay, yeah. We're going to talk about Elton and what a dick he is. But um, we cut to the next scene and Cher's there with all her friends, which, like, Amber's there, which makes me think they're probably more, like, frenemies. Uh-huh. Yeah, like, she's a part of the group because of, like, their, I guess, their upbringing and, like, money, but they don't get along normally, right? Right. Yeah, that makes, yeah, that actually makes perfect sense. So, so Amber's there, Murray, Dion, Elton, Summer's there, and then Ty and Elton. And so Cher's taking pictures, which I think is so cute because she's just, like, clicking, clicking. And as they're taking pictures, we're hearing All Right by Supergrass. And so Cher's taking photos of her friends and she's getting photos of everyone like in small groups. And I love how in sync the camera clicks are with the song at one point. Yeah. Um, I don't know. There's, there's something very oddly satisfying about how the flow and the sound followed the music. <laughs> it's such a good scene. I just freaking love this song. This is so cute. Yeah, it plays very briefly. It's a very brief scene, but it's so cute. And I think important too, because... Um, Ty is off to the side, and she's kind of in the back, and and so everyone's all together, arms around each other, and they all look really cute, and Cher is, like, trying really hard to get Ty to get closer to Elton and closer to Elton. Yes. <laughs> and she's being a great wingwoman, but Ty is just, like, not taking instruction very well. Yeah, because she's, I mean, it's it's obvious that the other kids are, like, friends or, have, or frenemies, grown up together, whatever, and then there's Ty. And so eventually it gets to the point where Cher's like, hey, Elton, put your arm around Ty. And he like, that's when he rolls his eyes because he's an asshole. <laughs> and he puts his arm around. He's like, all right, or whatever. And so then Cher takes the picture. And then this is so cute. Cher singles out Ty. And she's like, Ty, come over here. And so she gets a picture of just Ty with like a really cute background and a flower. And this is when Elton comes up and he's like, oh, that's a cool picture. Why don't you make me a copy? And Cher's like, okay, sure. And she's like excited because it's like, oh, Elton wants a picture of her. He must like her. He must think she's cute. Like he, she thinks that this matchmaking thing is working. Yes. So to Cher, this is a good sign. And even as an audience, you kind of think like, oh, okay, maybe he does like her because why else would he ask for a copy of the photo of just her? Exactly. Um, and it turns out, like, this is actually an element in Emma. Like, he, he gets Emma to paint her a picture of Harriet. Yes. Mm -hmm. Or paint him a picture of Harriet. And then, but it, he only wants it because Emma painted it, right? Yes. So Emma paints a picture of Harriet, and then he takes it and gets it framed. And he gets, like, this extraordinary, like, fabulous frame for this picture. 
And then, and so then Emma takes it as a sign that he likes Harriet, right? Exactly. Because the picture is just of Harriet, just like in this, in Clueless, the picture is just of Ty. I, I know it's not until later, but I hate his explanation for that because it's so dumb. It makes no sense. It no sense. She's like, you have her picture in your locker. And he's like, I have the picture you took in my locker. Um, okay, no. I'm a photographer, guys. <laughs> From a photographer perspective, I would see it as you want a, a photo of the person in the photo. You, you don't want this photo because of who took the photo, unless it's like an inanimate object or a landscape. Like, not a person. Exactly. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I, I mean, I don't shoot people for art. I guess there are those like National Geographic who will shoot people and that's art. And maybe you'll frame that and think of the photographer, but that's anonymous. That's someone you don't know. That's considered art. Like this is a different circumstance. If Elton had a picture of Ty, I think he likes Ty right, automatically. Right. Unless you're like, you know, very well known, like an, an Anne Getting. That's the only photographer I can think of. The one who does like all the babies. She dresses babies up as like animals and bees and stuff like that. Oh, okay. Okay. So like, um, obviously you're not having pictures for the babies. You're having it because you're collecting like Anne Getting's photographers photographer I'm sorry photos that's not the same for this case like Cher is not a famous photographer like you're not collecting all of her photos that she's taken like you're just it's just weird it just doesn't make sense even she is not on that explanation anyway whatever that's later on but um during this little montage uh we were hearing all right and that is a song by British alt rock band Supergrass of course this song was featured on their debut album, I Should Coco, released in May 1995, and it was the fourth single off of said album. It was released as a single itself on July 3rd of that same year. Clueless is what actually boosted its recognition and made it like a super popular song. Uh, but at the time of its release, Britpop was actually at the height of its popularity, and lead singer Gaz Combs, he actually wrote the song when he was 19. But despite being an adult at the time, he was actually writing it from the perspective of a preteen. So he was thinking about like 13, 14 year olds who are like thinking about the world ahead of them and, you know, all the stuff that they're going to get into. And the song is noticeably different from most teen anthems because it's a lot more upbeat. Uh, it's got a happy piano. You know, normally when you ask like a, a teenager from the 90s, like what their anthem is, they're going to say something grungy. Mm -hmm. You know, they're going to pick something by Nirvana or Soundgarden or Pearl Jam, like along those lines. All Right by Supergrass peaked at number two on the UK singles charts. It peaked at number six in Iceland, number eight in Ireland, number 30 in France, and number 96 in Australia. It hit platinum in the UK. The band at the time consisted of Gaz Combs, Danny Goffey, Mick Quinn, and Rob Combs. And they formed in Oxford, UK, 1993. They were originally a three-piece. Unfortunately, they're not still together. They did split up in 2010, but they all have gone on to do their own projects and their own work. Uh, Gaz and Danny respectively went solo. Mick has two different groups that he plays in. And Rob actually teaches piano and music therapy. 
Wow, that's so cool. I think that's really cool. I would love to learn more about music therapy because I know about like art therapy. So music therapy uh, is something that I am familiar with because um, we do use that um, service for students with autism in particular. Um, And we have music therapists who come in and basically work with singing, like learning through singing, learning routines through singing, um, echoing songs, um, strumming instruments, and making music with other instruments or things that are not always utilized as, um, I guess, normal instruments, um, and getting these kids involved in kind of like a whole group setting and allowing them that imaginative um, song play. It's actually a really cool thing. And um, actually, uh, Nick, DJ Nico, um, was thinking about being a music therapist for quite some time. Oh, yeah? Is he going to get into it? Um, He was actually teaching for a while. um, And uh, he was, last I heard, still doing that. But I think he took a break or a hiatus from it because of COVID. Um, And now he's more with um, the churches again. Gotcha. So it is a really, um, it's a small field, so it is very hard to get into. Um, But I do know Sam Houston has a very good music therapy school for those of you who are interested. That's cool. That's awesome. That's awesome that Rob went on to do something like that. Like it's amazing to me. Like it speaks volumes about his character. Um, I, I realized that I, I don't think I have favorite parts in movies so much as I have favorite lines. And I think my favorite line in this whole film is, daddy, this is my friend Ty. Get out of my chair. Instantly. (laughs) No, he's so mean, like rude. And then she gets up. She moves so quick. And then Lucy puts the food down. He's like, what is this crap? And Lucy's scared of him. Oh, I love her dad. It's so funny. It's so funny. He's great. He is. He is. And, uh, of course, you know, they all have their pagers. And he's like, no pager tonight. And he's like, she was like, but it's Dion. He's like, no, we're going to have a nice family dinner. What did you do in school today? She's like, um, I broke in my purple clogs. <laughs> That's when her dad gets a call. And then... D calls Cher and tells her that Murray's geometry class is right by Elton's locker and the picture that you took of Ty is taped up inside, which I think it's interesting that she framed it in that sentence. Is the picture you took of Ty. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which I was like, oh, okay, so they were setting it up. <laughs> they were setting it up. So they, they weren't letting the audience forget that she took that picture. Exactly. And so, of course... Ty's like, oh shit, Cher's excited. And then she tells, uh, Dion tells Cher, like, they're all going to the party in the valley. So, of course, they have to make a cameo. Yes. And that's another thing that I pulled into my vocabulary. Is like, every now and then, when someone wants me to go to a party, I'll be like, okay, I guess I'll make a cameo. Yes. Like, like I'm something famous. <laughs> right. Or like, I took that from this film, and then I also took from, um, 10 Things I Hate About You, and she's begging her to go to the party, and she's like, fine, I'll make an appearance. I tell my friends, like, fine, I'll make an appearance. I thought (laughs) everyone said that, though, because I say that all the time. Like, I guess I can make an appearance. I think at this point, like, as we're adults and we're getting roped into things we don't want to do, we'll be like, yeah, I'll stop by for, like, an hour. That's the equivalent of, like, 
I'll make an appearance. I will grace you with my presence, but only for so long. Right, right. Just a small <laughs> little sampling. I have naps to take. <laughs> so, yeah, so they drive out to this party, and of course, chaos ensues as they're driving there because Deanna and Marie are constantly fighting about directions, it seems. <laughs> I love that part. There's no numbers on the top, there's letters. <laughs> oh! And he's so... Murray, shut up! He's so cute. (laughs) They get to this banging-ass party. Yes. And, of course, Cher's like, we have to make a lot before we commit to a location. Yeah, and, like, Ty immediately sees Travis, Mm -hmm. and she, like, is super super impressed by him, and she wants to hang out with him, and Cher's like, okay, Elton's over there. Like, she's trying to direct her, even at the party. Mm -hmm. Travis... I guess I'll tie as well and then gets her a drink and that drink accidentally spilled on Cher's satin shoes. Mm-hmm. Which <laughs> is not fixable. No, but he decides to make amends with some chronic shit. So <laughs> that's the least you can do. I love I think it's so cute. He pulls it out of his pocket. He's like he holds it up like a peace offering. And she's like, yeah, it's the least you can do. And, and Ty's like, let's spark it. And he just, like, lights it up. And I'm like, fuck yeah, this is the part. <laughs> this is the person I am at the party. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. Let me make it up to you. Let me get you high. Yeah, so cute. And so then, of course, Cher's still controlling her. And, like, you know, oh, Elton's over there. He laughed like he said something funny. And so then Ty looks crazy, giggling away. <laughs> She's so fucking fun. This is that infectious laugh. Yes, this is the infectious laugh that I just, I love every time. And Travis is like, uh. Yeah, he's like, what? It's so funny. It's I guess so he funny. thinks like, I guess he thinks she's like a super lightweight or something. <laughs> right? I didn't even think about that. Yes. He has to think that, you know. And then... I mean, his face is, like, awkward, like Nisa said, and, yeah, and then Ty's just kind of like, Nothing. Yeah, nothing funny. (laughs) Just just kidding. It's just, it's a funny, awkward scene, and then Summer breaks that by saying, like, oh, let's play suck and blow, which I, it's so, it's such a random transition to me. I, yes, I agree. And I was like, it's interesting that Summer willingly passed it on to Travis, who is supposedly below them. Exactly. But I guess it's, but I guess it's a party full of Lodi's. So I guess they don't care. They're all together here. I, I don't know. Well, I guess. I mean, I can see that perspective. It just, it just didn't make sense to me completely for there to be such a disdain. But then like, okay, fine, I'll smoke your weed. But you know, you're still a low life. More or less, yeah. I mean, and then, and then, have you ever played Second Blow? I have, yes. <laughs> Did you play it with a paper business card or a plastic credit card? We played it actually with a, uh, from a deck of cards. Okay, that makes sense. Because the thickness, I feel like, is, is right. Right, and it's, it's plastic-coated. Oh, yeah, you're right. It's got, like, that finish. Yeah, yeah. You're right, you're right. Um, so that, that's. And they don't play with that in this movie, right? They In this one, I always thought that it was a paper business card, like American Psycho. But apparently, like, I was watching the behind-the-scenes stuff, and apparently it's a credit card, which I guess makes more sense because they're rich. Mm. Like, because it's Summer's card. 
Gotcha. Um, gotcha. But, uh, but then they were like, behind the scenes, fun fact, they were saying like they had a hard time actually keeping it on their lips. So they were all heavily coated in chapstick. <laughs> and they had to put chapstick on the card just so it would stick to their lips. God. <laughs> None of them can suck, apparently. Apparently. Like, I, I think it was like something to do with the way that, I don't know what card they ended up using, but they had to make it like sticky. <laughs> for Random. them to for them to shoot that scene and so that's kind of funny that's so crazy mm-hmm. um and then of course elton who just happens to be next to Cher, drops the card and ends up lip to lip yep and this is like the third time he's kissed her in the film exactly <laughs> she's like god elton can't you suck <laughs> it's so funny she gets so like high pitchy and angry Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then Dion screams <laughs> like a blood curdling scene. And it's <laughs> Murray sucking his teeth. <laughs> oh my God, his braces. He's so cute. <laughs> Thinking that he looks so bomb because he shaved his head. Dude, and I love this. I think it's so funny because she's like, why would you do this? Why would He's like, because I'm keeping it real. Because I'm, I'm keeping it Because I'm keeping it real. <laughs> I love, I love it. I love it. She's like, okay, you want to play games? Cool, I'm calling your mother. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like, but right before that, because the guy shaving his head is, uh, I think his name is Morris or what is it? I think it's Lawrence. Lawrence, thank you. Um, and he's like, look at Lawrence's head. And Lawrence is like, it's the bomb. <laughs> and it just cracks me it's so nice. And she's like, why do you care what he thinks? I'm the one that has to look at you. What am I going to tell my grandchildren? And then I remember thinking, like, as I was watching this movie, I'm like, man, like, okay, I hadn't, I hadn't seen this movie in a few years. So when we chose it, I rewatched it for the first time in how long or however long. I remember thinking Lawrence was so funny, and I remember thinking that he was in this movie more, but I think I'm thinking of the TV show, because he was actually a regular on it, wasn't he, with Murray? Yes. Yes. Yes, and so he was really funny. I thought I wanted more of him in the film. <laughs> it definitely. That scene, it just cracks me up so much. I'll keep it, because I'm keeping it real. It's, <laughs> it's like, what does that so even funny. mean? it's too funny and just his whole expressions and then when she said that she's calling his mother he's like no 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 wait 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 wait." Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. then he gets scared after that of course we uh, move more into the party and um, Ty unfortunately ends up getting hit in the head they think she has a concussion so they go and take her to the uh, I guess like the island in the kitchen and Cher Cher annoys me at this point uh, because Travis is trying to help, and she gets like, and no, Travis, we've got it under control. Like, Elton is here, um, and it's just, I don't know, she annoys me. I agree, because I, I, it annoys me when she says, Ty would have wanted you to enjoy the party. I'm like, okay, you're being dramatic. She's not dead. Like, you're, she's being kind of manipulative here. Very manipulative, and she's really rude to Travis, like, her whole tone and everything and so Elton is there trying to help her, and he, she's like, oh, my God, ask her a question. She could have a concussion. And um, then they start singing their song and, like, okay, going back out. And she was like, oh, my God, I have to give myself snaps for all the good deeds I'm doing. And in my mind, I'm like, what good deeds? <laughs> right. Like, she thinks, like, just because Elton and Ty are, like, 
literally having a conversation that this was a success already. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And it was not. And she's like, even though I was alone, I was really happy for Ty. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So the party ends up ending because Cher gets a call from her dad and her dad is pissed because... (laughs) he's like you should be able to walk in the door in 20 minutes and she's like um it may take longer than that and his her dad is adamant like anywhere you go in LA it's 20 minutes and so they end up leaving and um they're trying to figure out like the driving situation who's going to drive who home and of course Elton is like oh well I'll take Cher Summer you take Ty and Cher's adamantly trying to get Ty and Elton to be in the car alone. And this is another part where Elton is like visibly being a dick because if you watch like um, right after she gets off the phone with her dad, they switch to the front lawn of the party and you watch as Cher and Ty and Elton are walking like toward the camera and out of the door down the walkway to their cars. And like you can see like Ty is kind of being like her bubbly self and she's smiling and laughing and she's kind of like, She's kind of like she would be next to Elton if Elton didn't have his arm in front of her. And he's very clearly like kind of annoyed. He just kind of looks like he's literally interested in anything else. He's not even looking at her. And it's not until like Summer says something about, oh, do you need a ride? His face lights up and he he goes in and he's like, no, 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 I'll take her. And like he was like so completely checked, like whatever him and Ty were doing for the rest of the party did not interest him at all. And it showed and he it's like, exactly. you're being such a dick. Like, fuck that guy. <laughs> like, fuck Elton. Yeah. And then he's like, I'd have to get off the freeway. I hate getting off the freeway. Mm-hmm. Just it, just annoying. So whatever. So they all end up going in the cars and, um, you know, Cher's trying to talk Ty up. Because she really feels like Elton likes Ty. And this is when, like, it gets really uncomfortable. And Elton, like, pulls off and shares, like, where are we going? And he was like, I knew it. I knew that you had feelings for me and tries to kiss her. And she was like, uh, no. She's like, don't you mean Ty? And he was like, you have that picture in your locker? He's like, I have the picture you took in my locker. And I don't understand this sentence. I'm having a Twin Peaks experience. What does that mean? <laughs> um, have you ever watched Twin Peaks? No. Okay. I haven't either, but I've pieced it together mostly from sugar packets and pop culture references. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Twin Peaks is, uh, from what I've gathered, is kind of like, it, it's, it's, it's a weird show where there's like some weird surreal stuff. Um, that happens in dreams, but not really dreams. It's like a, if I could compare it to something that I am familiar with, I would say like Erie, Indiana. Do you remember that show? I, I do not. You don't remember? Oh, but. Erie, Indiana. Oh, okay. Um, so I feel like I'm not doing a very good job of explaining it because I'm not too familiar with it either, but it's this show where there was like a lot of weird stuff happening. And so like, people talking backwards and dream sequence, like just okay weirdness and and it's a david lynch thing if that explains it okay okay that does make sense okay that makes more sense okay and so uh and i think they revamped it recently for like a few episodes i don't know what's going on i i was recently hearing a lot about it recently 
Um, but yeah, so I think that's, that's kind of, she's having like essentially like a twilight zone experience. Gotcha. She's like, Oh, this is, this is not the universe I thought I was in. Like, Oh, this is not how I wanted it to go. Like I, that's what I interpreted okay. from that again, without knowing a whole lot about. <laughs> Sorry. That makes more sense. I should have just looked it up, but I was like, Oh, I don't really get it. So that makes, that makes more sense. And Twin Peaks did come out before Clueless. So that would be, you know, an appropriate line. Um, and then Elton like freaking accuses her of kissing him in the second blow game. And she's like, it's a game. No. And he's like, you flirt with me all year. And shares like, as if I've been trying to get you together with Ty. And this is where we see Elton's true colors. He's like, Ty, why would I go with Ty? Do you even know who my father is? And it's in like complete disgust how he says it. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's so rude. And Cher calls him out. She's like, you're a snob and a half. And Elton keeps trying to hit on her. And finally, she gets out and he drives off. And then she is forced to call a cab. And then someone holds her at gunpoint. And, you know, this is where we see, again, where her concerns are. He takes the bag. He takes her phone. And then he's like, get on the ground. And she's like, oh, no. You don't understand. This is an alaya. <laughs> and he's like, oh, what? <laughs> and she un like she unties her jacket to show her dress off. Because <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's gonna change his mind. <laughs> exactly. And he's like, she's like, it's a totally important designer. And he's like, I will totally shoot you in the head. <laughs> <laughs> and this is where she gets down and whines, and then she finally calls Josh. And this is the scene that Misa was talking about, where she's going through like everything that happened. You know, got pulled over, got attacked, and then he forced me to ruin my dress. <laughs> Mm-hmm. and then this this bothers me because he's like where are you and she's like she's reluctant to say sun valley and he like he scoffs and he's like uh you owe me yeah and i'm like last i checked sun valley and beverly hills are really not that far from each other he's in westwood um and plus this party I take it this is sometime around 2 a.m because there's nobody on the street when Cher calls Josh yeah so um the highway should be empty I don't know why Josh is like making a big deal about having a drive like if it's not a far drive if you're on the highway it's a straight shot okay that's what I was gonna ask you I couldn't tell if that was because of like the distance or if it was because of the area he was in as a, if we went right now, it would be 36 minutes. Yeah, that's not that's not that far. And Beverly Hills is not far from Westwood. Right, unless he's trying to say, like, maybe like, – there's so many things here. But, yeah, the line is a little weird. And then we are introduced to, you know, Josh's weird uppity girlfriend. Oh, yeah. And my I have in my notes that they pick her up. What the fuck are they talking about? I don't know. I want to know who the man is. And why he's taking their minds at the most fecund point. <laughs> exactly. Like, I, when I was a kid, I wasn't really listening to what they were talking about. I thought that Cher told them what happened, and they were talking shit about Elton. They were like, what the fuck was he thinking? Da, 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 da. 
but that is not the case. She's talking about a scholar or maybe someone they're studying. Yeah, it has to be. It has to be. It just, we don't really get any context here. I would like to know what they were talking about. And then, of course, uh, Cher's not really in the conversation, but she does correct Heather is the girlfriend's name when Heather misquotes Hamlet. And even, you know, Josh laughs. And, of course, Heather is so angry. Not impressed. (laughs) Oh, and then Cher watches them kiss, and she's like, ugh, my life's becoming a bigger disaster than Malibu. What does that mean? I don't know. Malibu is awesome. (laughs) Maybe not when you can afford, you know, private jet somewhere or something. Maybe that's what she's referring to. I can't, I don't know. There's just, I feel like to this day, there are lines that like, of course there are lines that as a kid you didn't understand, but as an adult you understood. But then now even as an adult, there are lines I still don't get. I feel out of the loop. Uh, Agreed, agreed. So after Elton ruins Cher's night and she just has that awful night and her amazing brother Josh picks her up and everything, Cher now has to go and tell Ty what Elton did and that Elton was not interested in Ty after all. And Ty takes that really hard. And the first thing she says, it always hurts my heart a little bit because she says, it's my hip, isn't it? And I just feel some type of way about that, I guess, because I am a hippier person. Is that the right word? Hippier? Yeah, hippie. <laughs> hippie. <laughs> so I just feel like it's it's it hurts my heart. But it's very much that time where, again, I think that Ty was trying to fit in and felt like she was curvier than like all the other girls and didn't quite fit in with the same appearances. So Sharon Dion, seeing how upset she is, decided to go and have like a, a fun little calorie fast thing where they go to the restaurant and they go shopping and just try to distract her. Um, while they are shopping, she seems to be doing well. And then they are like hitting on these guys at the restaurant they're at and, you know, cat calling them basically. And then that's when um, Ty learns that Cher is a virgin and so is D technically um and then in the background Ty hears the song that Elton and her dance to rolling with the homies and she starts breaking down and crying and literally starts like hitting her head on the table and Dion's like okay stop and Cher's like I could tell that Ty's grieving period would be considerable unless I found someone to take Elton's place right away. So, okay, I don't want to be a traitor to my generation and all, but I don't get how guys dress today. I mean, come on, it looks like they just fell out of bed, put on some baggy pants, and take their greasy hair and cover it up with a backwards cap, and, like, we're expected to swoon? I don't think so. (laughs) Searching for a boy in high school is as useless as searching for a meaning in a Polly Shore movie. And during this very very true in dialogue from Cher we hear the amazing All the Young Dudes by David Bowie performed by World Party in the background so there is quite a bit of information about this song because this is actually a cover of the song and while David Bowie is the one who wrote this song he actually wrote it as a gift to a band called and please forgive me if I say this wrong it's weird Mott the Hoople Mott the Hoople 
Um, I'm actually not familiar with this band, or I wasn't before I started my research. I don't know if you are, Misa. I am not. So they are an English rock band that formed in Herefordshire, England. Um, They were originally known as the Doc Thomas Group, and they found a lot of success, and then they were on the verge of breaking up, very similar to what you were talking about with Radiohead, how they had their first album, and then because of the success from Creep, they literally were on the verge of breaking up. That was very much the same for them. Um, And David Bowie really, really liked this band, and he wrote two songs for them. The first song he wrote um, was called Suffragette City. And they said, you know, it's not really our, our jam. That's not our groove. Thank you so much. Um, but then he turned around and wrote a different song for them in hopes that they would hear the song, sing it together and realize how great they are as a band. And that's kind of exactly what happened when he gave them all the young dudes. Mott the Hopple. I, I don't know if I'm saying that right. I'm so sorry. Mott the Hoople, I apologize. I don't know what that means either. <laughs> I don't get it. But anyways, um, they met with David. They heard the song and it did in fact keep them from breaking up. And they did have some success with this song. In fact, it was listed as um, Rolling Stones number um, 253 on the list of the 500 greatest songs of all time which we know a lot of our songs happen to be on there. Yes. So, and it's also included in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame's 500 songs that shaped rock and roll um, because it is kind of like known as an anthem of glam rock. Um, So that's super exciting. So I am going to talk a little bit just more about the song because Matha Hoople isn't who we're focusing on. I did want to touch a little bit about David Bowie. And then the band that we hear singing it is actually World Party. So I'm going to talk about them as well. Um, So just some kind of background information on the song itself. Like I said, David Bowie sent over a demo of a song called Suffragette City to the band in 1972. They passed on this. They were still kind of fighting and not really sure where they wanted their sound to go. And that's when he then sent a little bit later, um, all the young dudes. They had David come over and start playing it on the acoustic guitar. And they all spoke in different interviews that when they heard him just play the chords, they he hadn't even sung the chorus, they were sold. And all of them, it was just like this kind of like aha, you know, um, really euphoric moment is what they described it as. Um, it, they, they knew right away, like this was their another hit for them and it sold them. So they did go ahead and record it and um, it has been covered numerous, numerous times with Bowie actually going on and covering his own song that he wrote, which is such a weird thing to think about in music world. But, you know, that's often how it happens when you have songwriters. Um, So he did go back to recording his own song and that's when we've got a lot of his version of it, which he did change a little bit when he recorded it himself um, on his Ziggy Stardust tour. Um, in 1983. Since then, the song has been covered by so many people, and I'm going to list a couple of them and then talk a little bit about World Party. So some of the more popular people um, that have used the song is um, Oasis, The Cage, of course, David Bowie, Ozzy Osbourne, Arno, 
Um, and there is supposedly, now Lisa, I couldn't find it, but if you can, there is supposed to be um, a Foo Fighters version of this song. It was only live. They didn't record it on an album or anything like that, but there is rumors that they covered the song in a concert. Hmm. Challenge accepted. So if you can find that, I would be so happy. I'll see what I can do. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. So then we get to our cover that is in our movie. And it is by World Party, which is not very well known, or at least I didn't really know them. Um, they are a British music group. And I say they, but they're actually very much like the group Misa covered earlier. It's a solo project. It's just one person. Um, but they're referred to as a musical group. So I don't really get why. But anyways, he started in a band. Um, Carl is his name, Carl Wallinger. He started in a band in 1986 in London um, after leaving the Waterboys, and he started his solo project, World Party. Um, fun fact about Carl, he actually um, got his start in music by performing the Rocky Horror Show. Oh, that is so cool. Like, as it like on theater and stage or like yeah. the on, oh. on theater and stage. Yeah. Over at the West End um, in London, he was a part of that. And I thought that was such a cool thing. You know, just that six degrees of separation. You know, we love that. Um, and breaking away from the Rocky Horror Show, that's when he started the Waterboys band that I talked about in 1984. And then he did depart into his solo band, World Party, in 1984. Five. Um, he covered this song in the early 90s and then that's pretty much all he's done like he hasn't done a whole lot um, I apologize for not having a lot of information on him but he is still touring he's still out there he just hasn't really released any music he still goes by world party he just doesn't really um, I guess he's more of like like a featured artist. It doesn't appear, based on my research, that he does anything like solo right now. Um, he was a part of like the Reality Bites soundtrack. Good one. Um, the, the, yeah, the 1994 movie. Um, and he has been on albums with like um, Robbie Williams, as well as Peter Gabriel um, and Steely Dan. So he's been with some very well-known artists. Um, but he, again, he's not doing anything like independent solo albums right now, if that makes sense. I really love this song. Um, I love actually the World Party version. I, I am not so much a fan of actually the Mata Hoople version, um, the original. I actually prefer either David Bowie's or World Party. Um, but this, I would love to hear all of them on the blog if possible. So. Yes, I'll put all three on there just so you guys can compare. Okay, yeah, perfect. Um, so yeah, so that is it for that song. Um, and it just, it fits perfectly because, I mean, it literally just says all the young dudes. And then we see all of those boys that Cher is talking about. And it's just that very typical 90s fashion, you know, the really big, like, uh, Jinko jeans, they're super wide, baggy, <laughs> um, nothing really matches, everything is just, like, super colorful, there's no coordination, there's chains, 
the the hats are backwards like she's talking about um they're all carrying skateboards now i will be the one to say um that she's in a field of her own because i i probably would be the one to spoon over them because i think they're adorable um so, <laughs> so i can't say i relate to what Cher is saying i don't agree with her but that's just my you know my cup of tea um but i it's just it's the perfect song because they're all young and they're all walking and it's kind of like a slow-mo walk too so it's absolutely perfect to see it um and then we see her uh sitting in the room and this is where we are introduced to christian he walks in and it's like slow motion piano and like he's like the I guess like kind of deus ex machina because she's like I really need to find Ty a new guy and then Christian just waltzes in and she's like well I guess it wouldn't hurt to find someone for myself exactly and I just want to say that it's just it's such a huge shift in um like his demeanor from the the boys that we just saw all the young dudes that we just saw in the previous film moment like they're like I said all baggy super colorful and then Christian comes in in that very much like Nisa said rat pack style like a little bit higher waisted um pants and he's wearing like slacks right Nisa like they're not like jeans or trousers right like he's in pants like grown man pants yeah man like he's basically like two pieces away from being in a suit at high school yeah yeah and he has his jacket like thrown on his finger over his shoulder you know um his whole posture he's kind of like leaning against the door frame um he's got that kind of like looking up from the side angle his hair everything about him screams rat pack like misa said and of course, he's different. And so Cher is immediately drawn to him because he's better dressed. He's well-groomed. It's obvious that he takes care of himself and he's educated. And that is not normal for her high school boys. Yeah, yeah. Because she even said earlier, like, she's like, oh, I don't, I don't like high school boys. Like, I, you know, she's like, she doesn't date them. That's kind of like her rule. But she's never really met anyone like Christian. Like, he is very coordinated. And he is very, like, you know, pretty around the edges. And like, she, um, and, and on top of that, like, we, we know that he kind of has status like her. Because when Mr. Hall asked about him, she already knew his situation. Like, she knew all about him. She was like, oh, his parents are divorced, so he's splitting his semester, da-da-da-da-da. And so it's like, of course Cher would be in the know. And of course, like, so that that just kind of gives you the impression that he's up there with, like, Murray and Elton, like, those guys. And so because of that, like, that's also attractive to her because then they rank right next to each other. Exactly. Exactly. So we then see Cher go into her whole, like, let me spoil myself and get his attention. You know what I mean? <laughs> she sends her love letters, flowers, cards, and everything. Um, and that is when uh, Christian, who calls her Duchess, which I thought was so weird. Oh, I think that's kind of cute. <laughs> I thought it was like, I don't know. I mean, it's better than princess, so I get it. I get it. Um, he asks her like for plans for the weekend and they end up making plans to go to a party. And so we see them go through the whole process of, you know, him coming to get her, pick her up and meeting the dad and the dad and Josh do not look impressed. <laughs> and, uh, the dad 
it just another funny moment like he's like you drink and christian thinks that he's like offering Mm -hmm. something for him to drink alcohol and then um he tells him i've got a 45 and a shovel i doubt anyone would miss you like great moment yes i love her dad is so fucking funny he is hysterical it's his dry one-liners that get me and i i absolutely love it um and then we see them at like a ska party um which is very popular during that time kind of like that whole ska like big band scene um and they are dancing away ty comes in she totally pulls a me and falls down the stairs i related to ty so much in that moment (laughs) happened to me before in front of everybody like that in front of everybody yeah at the berry center you know at the big um auditorium where we were doing like our teacher in service walking down the stairs i fell in front of everyone in a quiet moment and all of the like 600 teachers in the arena saw me fall and hurt myself. Oh my God. And then you woke up, right? No. And then you woke up, right? No, and it was, it was not a dream. It was not a dream. Um, oh, yeah. No. Well, did all 600 of them get up and help you to your feet? Um, all of them kind of were like, oh, is she okay? And it was, it was just so embarrassing. And then I really actually was hurt. So I ended up having to go to like first aid to get like band-aids and stuff um, because I scraped my knees so bad on the metals. It was just, it was a hot mess. It was, it was so embarrassing. And they're like, you're going to have to get workers comp. And I was like, um, no, no, not for falling down the stairs. Absolutely. At least you had witnesses. Exactly. Absolutely not. So whatever. Oh my gosh, Frankie, you are all over the place. Right? You need supervision. (laughs) I do. And a helmet. I need a helmet. Maybe some pads too. I was going to say, I'm going to get you some elbow pads for your birthday. I think that would be very useful. I would accept. I definitely would accept. Um, So this is where we see also how shitty Elton is. He apparently is like he's just dancing with Amber, but it looks like they may be a little bit more because of the way he's flirting with her. And this is where we learn another like clueless euphemism. Um, Ty's like, do you think she's pretty? And she's like, no, she's a full on Monet. Like from far away, it's okay, but up close, it's a big old mess. And of course she asks Christians and he's like, ew, Hagsville. And uh, Cher's like, oh my God, he's just falling falling in love with me um the night goes on josh comes up and he's like totally adorable dancing with ty while she's dancing with christian and then it seems like they're just there forever and christian is like oh i'm gonna go back with these guys and hang out with the band and even the way he's dancing it's like very obvious that he is gay um and everyone else seems to be picking up on it except for like ty and Cher. Yeah, like that's, and that I think that's a testament to like just how self involved Cher really is. Like it, the entire time she talks about Christian, she kind of makes it about herself. Like when Christian's coming over, she makes over herself and stuff like that. So, like, she's so fixated on, like, I don't know, the possibility of her and Christian that she doesn't realize her and Christian is not a possibility. Yes. Um, and even the way she says, like, do you see how he's falling in love with me? Like, it's 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 not like, oh, do you, I'm falling in love with him. Like, it's all about 
how he's falling in love with her, how much he loves her, how he's showing her. Like, it's just, it's very self-absorbed. Exactly. And literally, as she's saying this, he's flirting with the male bartender. Exactly. Exactly. So they leave and, you know, um, Cher goes on to having him over eventually. um, And uh, it gets a little awkward because she's trying she's trying to like hit on him and like oh do you want some wine blah blah blah. and he's like oh wine makes people feel sexy and she's like that's okay and she's like trying to play footsie with him and like he covers her feet up with a pillow or a blanket like stop Mm -hmm. um it's just it's very one-sided and I think he gets he does he gets really uncomfortable and he's like I think I should go and um, she's like, well, I can make you coffee. And um, he's like, no, it's okay. And it's just, it's a little awkward. Um, that scene always is kind of like cringy to me because it makes me feel bad for her. Mm-hmm. I feel bad for both of them. <laughs> yeah, like you're right because I feel bad for him because he can't be honest about who he is. And then I feel bad for Cher because she's just clueless. <laughs> Well, here's my thing. Like, okay, I know that Christian never straight up says he's gay. Everyone only ever around him says he's gay or speculates he's gay. But, like, I mean, Christian also rubs me as a type who's, like, very comfortable with his sexuality. So he's like, oh, if you think I'm gay, then whatever. Like, I don't care what you think, but I'm going to do me. At this point, is he realizing, like, Cher didn't pick up on that? Did he even notice she's been flirting with him and trying to get him to fall in love with her? Like... Or is it clicking? Like, I just, I never, I wondered what it was like from his perspective. Like, what was he thinking the whole time? You know, that's a really good thing. I've never thought about it from that way. Like, maybe he thought that they were just like, I, I, I don't mean this in like a, a rude way, but almost like, um, like she's like his fruit fly, you know, or like his, his straight like girlfriend you know what I mean like he's very comfortable and like that's just like his friend who like he's okay with you know kissing on the cheek or kissing her on the lips or whatever but like nothing more than that like they'll go out dancing go out shopping that kind of thing see that I can see like kind of like how Nick was for you absolutely Mm -hmm. or like yeah like I've I've had multiple gay guy best friends and like we're very comfortable holding hands we're very comfortable kissing on the cheek or even on the lips sometimes if we want like so that, yeah, so that to me is exactly what Christian was. And, and that, like, I think that's where Cher was like, she didn't even think about him being gay. So she didn't even think about those being friendly things. Exactly. Exactly. She, she totally mistook it again, because she's so self-absorbed. Yes. Yes. And so then that, that, that just makes me wonder, like, so how, how like weird does Christian feel? Cause he's going to have to like eventually point it out. Right. Like yeah. he's going to have to talk to her about I don't know. It's just, yeah, I agree. The The whole thing kind of makes it awkward. But he's so sweet about it, too. He really is. Like, he doesn't call her out. He's not rude. Um, so then, of course, Cher is telling Dee and Murray about it. And she's like, I tried to have sex with him. And he's like, who? And starts laughing. And he was like, he is totally, he calls him a cake boy, which, mm-hmm. um, I don't know how I feel about that, but I get it. And anyways, he says, you know, he's a disco dancing, Oscar Wilde reading, Streisand ticket holding, friend of Dorothy. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and you're like, no way. He's And he's like, yeah, he's gay. And then she's like, oh, my God. I'm such a bonehead. Like, then she gets it. And then we go through this post-traumatic, like, situation of getting on the freeway. And Dee is 
freaking out and like this this is always a funny scene to me because there's like every every horrifying moment on a freeway happens when Dee's on there for like 10 seconds (laughs) oh I know she literally rides like one exit and then (laughs) like there's motorcyclists and huge like um semi trucks and like people honking at her and switching lanes and like everything that you could go wrong like or on your first time being on a freeway happens to be and it's just it's it's a terrifying moment but she gets through it and they make it and Cher's like you know they're just I really want a boyfriend of my own after seeing that and so then I think that's when she realized like Christian can be her friend and they can be shopping buddies and it, it's just not going to fill that boyfriend position, but it definitely gives her a friend, mm-hmm. which I think she definitely needed. Um, and mm-hmm. at this point we see um, like Ty has gone off with two guys and they're having her sit on a railing, which from the get go I was like, well, that is just not safe ever. Even though I was a child, I was like, that is terrifying. Uh, they end up trying to push her off and of course Christian goes and saves her Um, and because of this you know traumatic experience everyone at school is like oh my god Ty had a brush with death and Ty's kind of milking it oh yeah she's like basking in it like everyone everyone knows her name now there's all these stories and it and of course, it's turned into telephone. So like even Summer is like, oh my God, is it true that some guys tried to shoot at Ty at the mall? Yes. <laughs> it's like, what? Yes. And then like, and then when everyone's gathered around Ty, she says like, okay, so right before you die, your mind gets very clear. And I'm like, you did not almost die. You were in the arms of two idiots and they like... It, she's she's being very dramatic but she's like she's liking the attention she's like I don't know she's really delving into it like now she's the most popular girl and it's really weird for Cher right and Cher's kind of like Cher tries to share like jump in and share her experience from like when she was held at gunpoint and she gets totally cut off like oh that's irrelevant which is like the gunpoint story is actually a near-death experience. Exactly, exactly. I always was like, wow. And so then we see that Ty is like hanging out with Amber. And, you know, then she's like, oh, my week is pretty fast. Could we do next Monday? And, yeah, it was just, it was a very big shift. We see a huge shift in character um, from the original Ty that we saw at the beginning of the movie. Mm-hmm. And it's even more evident when Travis comes over and Ty is a complete asshole to him. This hurts me to see. Yes, I agree. This hurts me. Like he, first of all, he comes up and does something super gross. Um, yeah. But <laughs> yeah. He does the same thing Bender did where he, he spits a loogie into the air and then catches it in his mouth. Exactly. It that just it makes me. I need a moment. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm sorry. This is actually that and the part where the guy's throwing up in the pool are two parts that I have to look away because it's just ew. <laughs> I can handle a lot, but I do not do well with like spit. Spit. No. I don't know what it is. Like I feel it in my throat. Right. I need a moment. Okay. Um, I'm okay. I'm sorry. I didn't no, mean to okay. gross you. <laughs> Trust me. I think it's gross too. But it's just Travis being Travis, and so. Yeah, he comes up and he's like, oh, can y'all scoot over? They're like, no. And then Ty, oh my God, it hurts me. She just, she's like, uh, hello, don't the Lodis prefer that grassy knoll over there? And his face is 
so hurt. Right. Like, he kind of looks like, like, his smile starts to fade, almost like he's waiting for her to say the punchline, but there is no punchline. So he he looks around like he realizes she meant it, and he goes away. And even Cher realizes how horrible Ty is being. Mm -hmm. Like, she created a fucking monster. (laughs) She did. She did. And so Cher is, like, realizing all this. She's like, she herself is in such a funk, though, because she's lost her popularity place. She's got her driver's test to take, and her mind is just everywhere because, like, she feels like she's losing her spot, her reign, if you will, on the throne. Um, And she's got to go take this driver's test, and her mind is just everywhere. She ends up failing her driver's test because she's a fucking horrendous driver, mm-hmm. which thank God they didn't pass her. Mm-hmm. And then when she goes back to the house, um, Josh and Ty are there, and it's like a completely different tie. And she decides um, to burn everything from Elton, and that's when she tells Cher that she's interested in Josh. And... Cher, you can tell, is kind of like in a in a different place when she's talking to Ty. It's a, a very different character shift for Cher also. Like her whole vocal quality, demeanor, everything is just kind of like, are you sure? Like I like she just doesn't think it's a good match. And of course, Ty gets super defensive and angry and says the line that is just so hurtful. Why am I listening to you to begin with? You're a virgin who can't drive. And Cher is just like, that was way harsh, Ty. And, of course, Ty is like, ugh, I'm sorry. Let's just talk when we're mellow. I'm outie. Which is the line that, (laughs) that's the one that I really had to look up because I was like, ugh, that's not right. That's stupid. Um, And Cher absolutely is like, oh, my God, I I created a monster. Mm -hmm. And she's like, you know, Ty isn't, like, up to Josh's standards anyway. She was like, but... She's feeling very lost because she's like, you know, I don't know why I would be upset. Like, Ty is my friend. Um, like, I don't not want her to have a boyfriend. But, like, I just, she doesn't see her with Josh. And Josh was, you know, acting a type of way with her because um, Cher was acting like a brat earlier. And he called her out on it. And so she tries to go and do the one thing that she knows normally makes her feel better. And that's shopping. And even that can't help her. It's just... She just keeps going back to, like, why is this bothering me? And then she's like, I just don't see what Ty sees in him anyways. And then, like, going through all these things, she's like, oh, my God. Like, I like Josh. I am totally in love with him. And that's when she realizes her feelings for Josh. But now she's in that weird place, and she can't tell him how she feels. And she can't do what she did with Christian and send herself all those love letters and flowers and everything because Josh is older and doesn't really care about that type of thing. Mm-hmm. And it's just a really weird situation, and she doesn't know what to do. It's almost like she's lost her sense of purpose or being because she's still kind of figuring herself out in the group, and she's still lost with Ty. We don't see them talking right now, and then the person who, like, comes and visits your dad and is there a lot, like, that's the person who you like, and that's kind of weird. (laughs) During this part, we do hear one of my honorable mentions, and that's um, All By Myself, um, covered by Jewel, which is a great cover, and it ends with this fabulous, like, 
lighting up of the fountain and the fountain's going off is that's when Cher's discovering that she is in love with Josh. Um, and the next part is actually one of my favorites because we see such a shift in Cher. She decides to join one of Miss Geist's um, like environmental thing and help people from the Pismo beach disaster and like kind of do like a soul makeover is what she calls it. Mm-hmm. And so we see her start collecting like food and things like that and like really taking charge and, um, you know, just truly being a, more selfless. And I think that um, is such a, it's a good change for Cher mm-hmm. during this time. Um, and so we also see that Travis has gotten into like a 12 step program and he tells Cher about that and apologizes. And then um, he invites her to go see them at the skateboarding tournament thing. And so she goes and that's when her and Ty talk and, you know, they're, they end on good notes and Cher sees that like Travis and Ty are still very much in life with each other. Yeah. Yeah. Like they have, they still have like a chemistry between them and she could see like, uh, she was like, Oh, I knew Josh was like out of the picture, which I'm like, okay, that's great. But I would have liked this scene where Ty apologized to him. Yeah. Cause I mean that, that needs to be done. Like I don't get me wrong. Like Travis totally rubs me as the type of character who like if if you hurt him one day and then then and then after a little steam blows off and time passes and then you greet him like normal he's still gonna treat you like normal um but I would have liked to see them have some kind of scene again because I don't think we see them together again until the wedding like they don't they don't even talk yeah (laughs) so it you know I would have liked to see no we don't see them at all yeah, yeah. I would have liked to see at least a little scene where, like, she also apologizes to him, or maybe he invites her, and that's how, or I don't know, something. But um, it just felt a little incomplete to me, that little that little B storyline of hers with her and him. But that's just me. Sorry. That's just my preference. Not a big deal. <laughs> so after this, we see um, Cher has actually started helping her dad a little bit more, like, with the, apparently they have a really big case going on. And um, earlier we see her helping her dad like highlight different dates for a conversation that they're looking for. And so we see her spending time with Josh and I guess another one of their associates highlighting dates and um, Cher does something wrong accidentally. And the associate goes off on Cher and of course Josh defends her, you know, like she, she's just helping, like she didn't know. And the associate's like, well, if you weren't busy playing footsies with her, and, you know, he calls he calls him out, Josh, for flirting with Cher. And, you know, the guy leaves and he's like, I'm taking tomorrow off, whatever. And Josh goes and talks to Cher because she's upset. She's worried that she ruined her dad's case. And um, Josh is like, you know, it's, it's not a big deal. Like, you know, you shouldn't even be doing this. Like, you should be out, you know, shopping. And Cher kind of takes that one a little bit hard. You know, like, is that all you think? That I'm just a dumb kid with a credit card? And he's like, no, like, you know what I mean? Like, you're beautiful, you know, whatever. And this is when we realize, like, Josh absolutely does have feelings for Cher as well. And he kisses her. And then Cher's like, and you can guess what happens next? Then we cut to a wedding. 
And she's like, as if I'm only 16 and this is California, not Kentucky. But I'm like, Cher, you're making out with your ex-stepbrother. That's pretty Kentucky of you, girl. It, it is a little. It is a little. It's a little Kentucky. <laughs> it definitely is. I will say, not knowing that Cher and Josh are ex-stepbrother, stepsister, whatever, I absolutely love them together. It is a little weird to me that they went that route, though. Yeah. Instead of just making him like an associate of her dad's from the get-go. Yes. I I think that the relationship definitely could have been different. And then that way it wouldn't feel so weird. But I guess... I'm not in that situation and I will never be in that situation, but I just, it's, it's just interesting to me. What, how do you explain that to your dad? How do you explain that to his mom? How do you explain that to Ty? Well, I, and I mean, I guess everyone took it okay because they're at the wedding together. I don't know, man. Just the Josh thing is it's an interesting choice. It definitely is. And not defending it, but I think I feel like it happens more than people realize. Um, because I actually do have a cousin whose parents were divorced. Mom got remarried. And that guy had a son who is now married to my cousin, but the parents are not married anymore. Okay. And so it's a very similar situation. And then there's also like my friend of a friend, her, her and her husband got married. Both of their parents were divorced and their parents got married. Okay. See, I guess as far as long-term, it sounds a little more plausible, but I'm thinking as far as like, okay, Josh is a college student and Cher is 16. Oh, yes. And when when he comes over, does her dad let Josh sleep in her room? Like, you know what I mean? Like, how are they going to move forward with a relationship right now? That's what's weird to me. Like, how does that work? Because uh, Josh has to be at least nineteen, right? I would think so. Yeah, I thought I thought maybe he was like twenty, but I would say at least nineteen, just to just to close the age gap a little. But still a little weird. It's still like that's that's what I, that's why I think it's weird because I'm like, okay, so how do you have a relationship as a teenage girl with your college aged ex stepbrother, <laughs> who you're in love with? Or, like, does she visit him at college and shack up in the dorm? Or, like, is her dad cool? Like, that's what I mean. Like, how do you explain that to your dad? And then when he's around, I don't know. Her dad just seems so protective. And even though throughout the film, even the dad seems to notice that Josh likes her. And he seems to approve. Maybe he likes Josh. Maybe that is the guy, like, he trusts with his daughter. I mean, yeah. But that's a little weird. I don't know. It is, it's just a little weird, like situation wise, like day to day basis wise, like long term, sure, couple years, yeah, after she's like a, an adult, and they can get married and do whatever the fuck, then yeah, cool. But in this particular moment with the way we leave them, I'm like, 
How does that work? I'm confused. I just have questions. That's all. <laughs> I need some answers. I need to talk to Josh and Cher. Too. Yeah, exactly. See if they're still together. Are Josh and Cher still together? Do you think if they if they were real? Well, if they are doing the Clueless reboot, I need some answers in that way. Like, do they have kids? I would hope that they're still together. Are there rumors about a reboot? There is. There is. Oh wait, rumors. I did. I did hear about a TV show, but it was like a mystery and like uh, Cher goes missing and Dion has to find her. Okay. I heard about that one. And then I heard that there is supposed to be one where it's like a, it is a TV show. It's not a movie, um, but it's kind of like a, a reunion, but with the characters like in, in character form, like it's not like Alicia Silverstone. It's like Cher and talking about where they are. Hmm. So I guess kind of like the friends one, but with the characters. So it like Spinal Tap. Yes, exactly. <laughs> okay, that see that would be cool, like a like a documentary. Where are they now? Yes, kind of thing, exactly. but with characters. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's what I want. Um, and so we do see the wedding, like Misa said, but it is not the wedding of Cher and Josh. It is the wedding of Miss Geist and Mister Hall. So Cher was successful in getting that match together, and they just look so cute and happy. Mm-hmm. getting married and then the girls of course are all fawning over like my wedding plans and they all sound awful <laughs> <laughs> I know and I love Murray he's like Jesus they're planning our weddings already <laughs> it's awful it's awful um and then they're gonna do the bouquet toss and uh this is my favorite <laughs> this is one of my favorite scenes because all the girls are going crazy and Cher basically like sits on Amber's face <laughs> <laughs> It's so funny to me, but she gets the bouquet and Josh and her kiss. And uh, I believe this is your song, right? That takes us out. Yes. So as soon as the ending credits come up, we hear Need You Around by Smoking Popes. And this just takes us out. And, uh, you know, on my on the VHS that I used to watch, this song played all the way through the credits until we got to the Supergrass music video. <laughs> yes. Um, so I love this song. I like how it's punk, but also the singer sounds like a lounge singer, which I'll get into in a second. So this song, Need You Around, was originally released as the second single from the 1994 album Born to Quit by Smoking Popes. The album was originally represented by Johan's Face Records, but when Born to Quit was re-released, it was under Capitol Records in July of 1995. This is the only song by the band to chart, and it peaked at number 35 on Billboard's Modern Rock Tracks. This song was written by frontman Josh Caterer, who also performed vocals and guitar on the track. Other members of the band at the time included Eli Caterer on guitar, Matt Caterer on bass guitar, and Mike B. Lumley, not Caterer, on drums. Smoking Popes originally debuted on the music scene in Chicago 1991. They quickly won over the hearts of fans with their sophisticated take on pop punk styles. They had a sound of mixing angst, with Frank Sinatra, which is a big reason why I really love this song. Like, I loved it immediately. Richard Cheese wasn't a thing at the time the movie came out, but this reminds me a lot of Richard Cheese. I love it. And it also kind of reminds me of uh, Postmodern Jukebox, mm-hmm. because they 
those are both different artists who like who take covers or they they take they give their spin on it but it's like a spin on it like it sounds nothing like the original they rearrange it they add instruments they add bravado like I love loungy 50s stuff you know and then I love when it gets like integrated with modern sounds and that's cool I love when modern music integrates that stuff because it's like yes don't forget the big bands I love it (laughs) This song has been covered by Retro Morning as well as Josh Caterer himself. He recorded a version of this song with John Perrin and John San Juan. They recorded the performance on October 28, 2020, and the album was entitled The Hideout Sessions. But if you want to check out this album, be sure to search for it under Josh Caterer and not Smoking Popes because technically this is considered like his solo work when he covered it. Gotcha. Among the tracks on it are some Smoking Popes covers, however, um, and as well as covers of other classic love songs, such as My Funny Valentine and Rags to Riches. Oh, nice! Yeah, so he also kind of takes covers and gives them his, his spin, and so I'm definitely going to post some of those on the blog so you guys can get a taste of Josh Caterer and all that good stuff. I really, really, really love this song, and I love, I love the punk sound. I love how it's pop punk, and I just, I love his voice. It's so, so perfect. If he lived in like the '40s, he would have been singing in airports. That <laughs> like, is awesome. So, all the more reason for you guys to watch all the way to the ending credits because this song is awesome, and it pretty much plays all the way through. <laughs> Such a cool song. Uh, and with that, that's our movie. Yeah, it's awesome. And of course, the Clueless soundtrack is totally loaded, so we couldn't possibly pick all the songs on the soundtrack, no matter how much we may have wanted to. And so my list of honorable mentions is quite long. It's basically the rest of the fucking Clueless soundtrack. So we have Kids in America, cover by The Muffs, Fashion by David Bowie, Shoop by Salt and Pepper. Shake Some Action by Cracker, Rolling with the My Homies by Coolio, Away by The Cranberries, a live version of The Ghost in You by The Counting Crows, My Forgotten Favorite by Velocity Girl, Someday I Suppose by The Mighty Mighty Boss Tones, and Where'd You Go by The Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. We did good. So any fun facts you wanted to go over really quickly? I do have a few, but let's do your casting stuff first. You love me. (laughs) Go ahead. What did you find? Tell me. Okay, so the one that was, like, most surprising to me was who could have been in this film. Um, So Sarah Michelle Gellar was offered the role for Cher, but she did pass due to um, scheduling conflicts with all my children. Reese Witherspoon was also considered for the role of Cher. And Lauren Hill and Taryn Towered auditioned for the roles of Dion and Murray, which I thought was so crazy. Wow. I didn't even realize so many people, like, auditioned then. We also have um, Jeremy Renner, who auditioned for Christian and for Josh, which um, is a six degrees of separation from um, Paul Rudd, who they were worked in the Marvel Cinematic Universe together as Captain America and um, as Hawkeye. Um, respectively. Zoe Deschanel auditioned for Amber and Cher. Owen Wilson auditioned for Travis. 
Leah Rimini for Ty, Seth Green for Travis, which I could totally see. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was one, I think that was it. Oh, no, uh, Carrie Russell and Tiffany Thiessen also auditioned for the role of Cher. The one that really, really got me, though, is that Amy um, Heckerling actually wrote the roles with Angelina Jolie and Gwyneth Paltrow in mind, which I just can't see with either of them, if I'm being totally honest. Ew. And I don't know if she did it because Gwyneth was actually in Emma. And I don't know if that's where she was getting it from, mm-hmm. but I just can't see that. Mm, no. I feel like some of those cast possibilities would make this movie a very different 90s time capsule. Absolutely agreed. And two more people who auditioned for Josh, Ben Affleck and Zach Braff. I can totally see Ben Affleck, though. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, all of those people together I just I I, it's it would have been such a different show right it's yeah like I I it's always hard to imagine it when we know what the final product ended up being but even some of those like Angelina Jolie playing a character like this I I I can't right and then the one that I thought would be most exciting, um, or the one that I was like, um, so for the role of Mel, the dad, Jerry Orbach was actually uh, auditioning for that part, uh, the dad um, from Law and & Order, um, and he was not able to get away from Law and & Order, so he had to turn down the role. And Harvey Keitel was also thought of for the role, um, but he was deemed too expensive to be a part of the cast. yeah I can definitely see that um I'm kind of glad Jerry Orbach didn't because Jerry just seems like too much of a sweetheart to be like screaming like that (laughs) I feel like so there's another movie where he plays a dad that I absolutely love him in though and I can't think of it it's on the tip of my tongue right now I'll have to think of it and come back to you I'll, I'll text you after and you can include in there but um you're right I I do agree I I love the way it was casted um I love Jerry, but I can't see him necessarily as the role of Mel. Um, I could see Harvey, but he he is, I know that he's always been pretty much like an expensive actor. So, but yeah, just all those amazing different people auditioned and just how different this film would have been if Amy had gone with them instead of the people that we know and love from Clueless. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, think, I think the movie ended up exactly the way it should have. Like, it's perfect. Exactly. Exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. Paul Rudd, uh, in an interview with Paul Rudd, uh, he actually said that he wanted and read the part for Murray. Oh, wow. And then they were like, actually, Murray's black. (laughs) And um, Paul Rudd was like, oh, I didn't get that at all. Like, I thought this was a guy who was white and who was acting black. (laughs) And it turns out, like, the script doesn't actually specify that Murray's black, but I think that the casting crew, like, the casting director, like, they knew that they wanted a black man for it. They didn't necessarily feel the need to specify. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it wasn't until Paul Rudd tried to audition that they were like, "Mm, no, you're not right for that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But apparently he also read for Elton and Christian. Yeah, that's awesome. Which I still, I don't know if I could see him in any of those roles. I think he's too, he's too sweet to be Elton, though. 
Oh, yeah, no. I don't think he could be, like, an... I don't know. Has Paul Rudd ever played an asshole? I mean, not, like... Not trying to be, but in that movie, um... my The one with the brother, the one where he plays the brother. Like, My Idiot Brother oh. or something like that. Oh, I haven't seen that. Um, he's, like, an... He's an accidental asshole. Not a real asshole. So we know that Clueless has some amazing costumes. Um, and this was actually uh, Mona May's first film as a costume designer. And um, she was amazing and did all of the costumes in here for less than um, $200,000. She did a lot of like shopping from thrift stores and everything like that. Um, and Cher did actually get to keep all of her costumes, but she ended up donating most of them. And she only kept the iconic yellow one that we see. Um, and Mona went on to do costumes for Romy and Michelle's, which Misa mentioned earlier. I thought that was funny. The Wedding Singer and Never Been Kissed, two of the three movies that we have covered. Yes, I am a huge fan. When Mona May's name pops up on costume designer for a film, I get very excited because I just, I her name is so synonymous with color and like mm -hmm. vivid and contrast and patterns and like she's just got this really beautiful eye as you can see from Clueless and the other films that she's done like I just I love her use of color down to like the fucking fabrics and the details on the clothes like she's just it's amazing like when you see Mona May pop up on a movie you know that those people are gonna be decked out to the nines absolutely and she's just she's her eye is amazing her eye is absolutely yeah. amazing. and so I was just like oh that's that's awesome and the fact that we've covered some of those movies I was like oh I definitely have to say that one yeah, yeah for sure well fun fact that I found that uh the script for this film actually started off as a pilot yeah <laughs> which which is really kind of funny because then they did end up turning it back into a tv show after this movie did super super well and the original name of the pilot before it was a film was i was a teenage teenager what <laughs> yeah so it was like dr heavily dripping satire and like amy heckerling she kind of like got a kick out of naming stuff like that so that's why she chose that title they started off with a pilot script and the studio was like oh no this should be a feature like this is funny you need to make this a movie and so yeah so then she ended up observing teenagers and she ended up going to the malls and she ended up hanging out at a high school to like see what they were like and it turns out that the principal who introduces Ty at the gym class is actually the real Mr. Hall, and she sat in on his class. Oh my gosh, that's so cool. Mm -hmm. So he has a little cameo. That's cool. And um, isn't Hegerling also like in real life really good friends with um, the actor who played Miss Geist, right? Actually, I heard that Amy Hegerling is best friends with Wallace Shawn. Oh, okay. And that he used to be a teacher, too. I did know that, which I thought was really cool. And Wallace is just, he's phenomenal. He's been in so much. He's adorable. Yeah. <laughs> I think everybody knows him from Princess Bride. Oh, my gosh, yes. But if you don't, you know his voice from one of his voiceovers that he does. 
Yeah, his his voice is very uh, distinct. Like it's it's perfect mm-hmm. for like animation, which I know he's been in like the Toy Stories. He's awesome and he's so cute. <laughs> he's adorable. He's a cute. He's old so man. precious. Yeah, he must be protected. He must be. <laughs> um, and one of the last fun facts I found is that Clueless is actually a part of like an unofficial trilogy, if you will. So her first, Heckerling's first uh, directorial debut was Fast Times at Ridgemont High from 1982. And then Clueless came in 1995, followed up with um, the movie um, that Jason Biggs is in, Loser, in 2000. And these are considered an unofficial trilogy about teens, that coming of age teen era, if you will. So yeah, very cool. I was like, oh, wow, it's so interesting. So there's just so many fun, like a little random facts about Clueless. Yeah, that's cool. I've seen Loser. I haven't seen Fast Times. Oh, really? Okay, Fast Times is actually, I mean, it's definitely an 80s teen movie. I mean, even though like 90s teen movies are um, similar, there's there's some very obvious differences, you know, Mm -hmm. like Pretty in Pink, um, just very different from like those 90s teen movies. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely on my list. It's just, it's not something that I've ever come across yet. So I have to watch it. Maybe soon, maybe soon. Yeah, yeah, I'll definitely, I'll definitely check it out at some point before I, you know, die. God, I hope. Before you die. (laughs) (laughs) Yikes. On your list of movies. (laughs) So yeah, so, and that's um, pretty much all I have. I mean, a lot of other really fun facts, but we kind of covered them when we were talking. (gasps) Awesome. Well, guys, that is it for Clueless. Yay. It was a good one. Yeah, this this was fun. <laughs> it really was. It was fun to rewatch over and over again. Um, it was nice to do it like with all of my kids too. Um, they thoroughly enjoyed Clueless. So that was awesome. All right. Well, with that being said, I think we're good. Yay. This was Frankie. And this was Misa. And we hope you enjoyed this episode all about clueless from 1995 we hope that you go out and rewatch this movie or watch it for the first time or listen to the soundtrack please don't forget to follow us on instagram and make sure that you are listening for us on spotify apple music google play you can listen at pod podbean um never title <laughs> I digress. Fuck title. <laughs> um, and as always, Misa does a fantastic job of putting up our blog with all those fun facts that we find, including all those covers and just all those fun little random tidbits that we like to include. Um, it's a really awesome thing to check out. So please make sure you do that when she posts it on the Instagram. Yes. Thank you for listening. If you've made it this far, we appreciate you. (laughs) Yes. Until next time, guys.